Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Zimmerman. Hi, everyone. Our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. This is where we answer the cycling and triathlon-related questions that you've submitted at trainerroad.com slash podcast. Keep doing it. We love that. That's awesome. Gives us a ton of questions that we can go through every week and put together a list that we're going to cover. A couple orders of congratulations very quickly before we get into some questions. First of all, congrats to the Stands Pivot team because all four members of them. We are a team sponsor, by the way, all four members of them are going to world champs for cross country racing. That's crazy. It's pretty amazing, That's right? Awesome. So Rose Grant, Chloe Woodruff and Keegan Swenson for America, Sophia Gomez-Vigifania for Argentina. Uh, pretty amazing. Also congrats to podcast listener, Alex wild. He races, well, he actually works for specialized full time. Um, I believe that he, I don't know if he's in supply chain or something like that, but he works for specialized full time, but also races pro. He got third at national champs, pro national champs, <laughs> That's crazy. which is really impressive. And he also got selected for the world champs team, which is really cool. Like, I mean, you don't hear of many people carrying a job and, and doing that. Uh, oh, it's wow. extremely impressive. And also Alex has come like a long way in a short period of time. So shout out Alex, way to go. Good job. Exciting stuff. Good luck to a lot of them. I know, uh, for example, Alex and Keegan are racing Breck Epic and tons of other people, the Peachels from Powder Creek Lodge, friends mm -hmm. of the podcast as well. So good luck at Breck Epic if you're doing that. And at Leadville, good luck as well. That's where Rose Grant is racing from that team. She has a good shot at winning. Uh, Alex Grant, not, uh, married by the way, uh, Alex Grant was on the podcast last year. Well, Alex Grant's married. She's not the Rose Grant. <laughs> this is yeah. a very good point. Yeah. Um, Alex Grant, uh, was on the podcast last year and it's a good listen. Uh, you should go back and listen to that episode that we had from Leadville. Um, <clears throat> if you search Alex Grant, you'll be able to find it very easily. And good luck to Jonathan Lee. Thank you, Nate. And Appreciate Brandon, that. who's Brandon our product Nate. manager. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there is a, uh, so Brandon will be in a trainer road kit. Jonathan will be in a Yeti kit. Yep. And then with trainer uh, road logos all over it too. Cool. Yep. Um, and I wonder who, Chad, who do you think is going to win between the two? Oh, that's a tough one. It's so tough because Jonathan beat Brandon by like three minutes at uh, yeah, a narrow, Trail. a narrow margin. But Brandon didn't drink or eat anything for like the last. I can solve this one for you guys. Brandon will win. Uh, it it yeah. could go either way. Considering the non-technical nature of the course, mm -hmm. I would probably oh, yeah. tip Brandon. And yeah. the, and longer climbs that are just, yeah. you know, probably a bit more demanding. I would okay. think, I don't know. Here's my prediction. So it's on recording. Okay. Jonathan's going to do a 746. Yeah. Brandon's going to do a 724. Hmm. Wow. Very, yeah. I, I like those times. I, those I, are really fast times. For anyone who doesn't know, I did an 856 and it killed me for like... Literally 30 days. I like could not <laughs> do anything. Yeah, you, you really melted down. I was worried about even you at the finish at, line. Yeah, well, yeah. even being at work was hard, just like in a meeting and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think when you go really, like when you go that deep and then you get that dehydrated, overheated, <clears throat> deprived of food, everything else like that, it just drives that deeper and deeper and makes it hard so to recover from. We have a crew change. For yes, Leadville. we do. You had so many changes last minute. But now, instead of me, you get Chad. Mm. Yeah. You get the, mm -hmm. the, better, the better, more interesting one. Um, so Chad's bringing his fiance, mm -hmm. and they are going to take the two spots. Yeah. Um, thank you, by the way, for doing yes, that. Absolutely. And to Amaret, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, and uh, you might see me signed up for nationals for the TT Road Race and Crit. For <laughs> Masters Nats in Colorado Springs? Herring. Yep. It's at the same exact time, but I'm not going to do it. Okay. Um, and I'm really kind of happy. I saw the TT start list, and I saw the names, and I'm like, 
one of those names looks familiar. Is uh, Brendan Hausler or Hausler? Uh, uh-huh. Hausler? Something like that. Yeah. He's in our forum. He talked about how to get to five watts per kilo. He's my size, but with like a 420-watt FTP. <laughs> He's <laughs> one before. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I do not have a 420-watt FTP. Well, my good luck FTP to him. Is, how close are you guys in age? Same age. Same age. So yep. you're going to follow him forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> just, you're just going to have to play that one year where he doesn't go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he said he, he goes anywhere between like 390 and 420, but I mean, either way, it's crazy. Yeah. It's pretty wow. hard. And he's won <laughs> nationals it's a before. that course, too. No. Right? The, uh, the TT is. Yeah. So he'll win. Well, I don't know if he'll win that, but. Anyways. Is it Brandon or Brendan? Good chance. Uh, Brennan. Brennan. Good luck to Brennan. Yeah, Brennan. Ha- Good luck, man. I forget. That could be cool. I'm going to say his name wrong, but anyways. Another national championship. Uh, another stars and bars for USA, hopefully. No, no, this is cool. this is Masters 35 plus yeah. USA. Masters Nets. Yeah, 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 that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Could be cool so, if he gets uh, that. Anyways, I'm not doing that because I am trying to get my Cat 2 point upgrade, and I thought I might have had it by now because of San Rafael. And oh. last weekend, there was a road race called Patterson Pass, and... Funny story. Uh, I say this. So I, we haven't been doing race reports recently. It's bittersweet. <laughs> but this one's There's no sweet about it. <laughs> no, you're, yeah, right, you're right. It's just bitter. It's entirely bitter. <laughs> I, we haven't. Uh, so I'm on my quest to get a Cat 2 upgrade. Yep. And I have 23 of the 30 points. So I need seven points. Yep. And we haven't been doing race reports or on this or anything because we have these videos coming out. So we, we have a lot of pretty much every race I've done. There's a few wins uh-huh. that haven't been out yet. But you go to Trainer Road or youtube.com slash trainer road. There's videos where Pete um, analyzes my performance. It's our race analysis series. You can yep. check it out. There's a whole playlist. Yeah. And there's ones from all of us too. Mm-hmm. Pete, um, new ones coming soon. We have a lot in the uh, pipeline still. So I thought I was going to get these seven points by now because if you do enough races, you get two or three points here and there. Yeah. You know, and I've been doing it, right? Spoiler alert for San Rafael. There's a video you can go watch and see how this all goes down, but it was a crash fest, right? Yeah, well, and crash in the last lap. A pivotal and crash. you didn't crash, no. but it, it affected your results, so you didn't get the points that you wanted. Mm-hmm. So then you're excited to go to Patterson Pass to go yep. get those points that you need. And first place at Patterson would have gotten eight points. So and you like, see what had your climbers upgrade. race. Did everything. I carb load so hard. I uh, I, I took a little mini taper because I was like, "This is it." But and it was not my strength. The climbing race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did tough climb. Salt hydration packs um, from scratch because it's like a hundred degree weather. And it's br- gonna be really hot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I brought pantyhose to do an ice sock mm-hmm. to put in my back. You were prepared. Sort um, of. <laughs> I came down the night Mostly. before. <laughs> Guys, just chill. <laughs> Relax. So Tell a story here. It's okay. so good. So I uh, I go home. I these races start at eight in the morning. Yeah. So you have to drive down the night before mm-hmm. uh, from Reno. Because mm-hmm. how long of a drive is it, Nate? It's four hours. <laughs> right. Four hours. San Rafael, by the way, with traffic, round trip, yeah. was 13 hours. Oh, my mm. goodness. So I didn't get to finish that race. At least you got to. Well, yeah, yeah. At least you got to. I'd rather just not do Ride it bike. than to not finish it. Okay. Hold back, Chad. Hold back. Settle down, children. Uh, so I get down there and put my bike together, and I realize I have two front skewers and no rear skewer to my... Axles, mind you. Yeah, yeah axles. axles. Like easily, Through axles. Easily not like easily substitutable. Yep. yep. Yep, because they're all proprietary to each bike. It's all, you know, these so, days. Uh, yeah, and Specialized has a special, like, concave cup that they mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, highly embarrassed, I'm walking around to everyone like, do you have an extra through axle? Who brings an extra through axle? For a Specialized Venge. <laughs> yeah, but actually, two people had through axles, but they were, like, trainer through axles, but they didn't um, cinch down. And yeah, that's not a good idea. Unless it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to do a race. And this, oh, by the way, this race has 50 mile power descents. Yeah, yeah, so your wheel coming out, your back, yeah, that's not a good idea. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. go around and I ask everyone there and it doesn't happen. 
And thanks for the people that helped me. Uh, one podcast listener, he's like, he's like, wait, you're Nate. He's like, Nate, what have you gotten yourself into this time? <laughs> it's like, uh, he knew. Um, drove yeah. back, said, I'm going to do a workout here. Got my stuff together, took my shoes out. My axle was in my shoe. The whole time. The whole time. I put it there so I didn't forget it. So you oh. drove four hours to a race. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> couldn't race because you couldn't find your axle. Drove four hours back. And then you found the axle. That's right, It was Jonathan. with you the whole time. You, you got it exactly right. Just wanted, to, just wanted to make sure people yeah. got that. Yeah. And when you carb load, you gain body fat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, and, and a lot of guilt. Especially if you don't race. Yeah. And a lot of guilt. Oh, yeah. And a lot of – you just feel that whole ride back. I was like bloated. And, mm. Anyways, they, I would have gotten – based on the <laughs> results of that race, though, rough. <laughs> I would have gotten dropped probably anyways. So um, it's okay. Wow. It's like a two 20-minute climbs where some people with much higher power to weight ratios, congrats to Jeremy Pond who won it. Um, just smoke people and I would have yeah. dropped. But anyways, Man. that was no fun. So <laughs> I am now going to stay in Northern California and do a couple races, one uh, flat road race and two crits um, this weekend instead of going to Leadville. And where are you going to put your axles? In my bike. There we go. In Thread my them back bike into forever. the frame. And I have two extra axles from Specialized gives you like these quick release axles and All like right. uh uh, Allen wrench axles uh -huh. that are arrow, and uh -huh. I have the quick release axles in my car at all times now. Nice. So if anyone needs one, Nate's <laughs> <laughs> got them. Yeah, I have them. All right, let's get into Adomas. I hope that's how you say the name. Forgive me if I if I missed that one up. Adomas uh, says, "Hi, Trainer Road Team. First of all, five out of five stars. You can do that on any podcast engine that you're listening to this on. Uh, to this with, I guess. Sorry, that was crazy, but you can rate us, and we'd appreciate it. And five stars. If we don't deserve five stars, just send us a message and let us know what we can do to improve." He says, "You have a great product and possibly even greater podcast." He says, since starting getting into cycling a few months ago, I've listened to close to, if not a hundred podcasts of Trainer Road, and it's been an amazing journey. Wow, so, that's like three a day. That's that's pretty impressive. That's, that's commitment. He says, the question I have is related to training that will help increase muscular strength and endurance, as well as how to better or how to better mix it up in both in terms of micro cycles and macro throughout the season as well. So lots of information. Let's just get into it. He says, to give some background on myself, I'm in my mid twenties, started running two years ago and cycling around two months ago. So really. Really, he's a runner that's just beginning cycling, right? Uh, he says, <clears throat> my running volume is low around 35 K to 20 or 35 K or 20 miles per week with some threshold type workout. Sometimes that's not low to me. That's quite high. So speak for yourself on that 20 one. 20 miles for a runner is pretty low. I know. I'm just, yeah. you know, okay. that's, that's all that's astronomical for me. He says yet I am still able to run five K's in 1730 ish super fast. That is it's like on 25, 20 miles pace. per week. Yeah, that's, that is that's really impressive. <coughs> he so, whoa, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fast. fast. No, but listen to this next sentence. He big. says, "I'm 190 centimeters, about six foot three inches, and around 85 kilograms, 185 pounds." What? That's yeah. like me, slightly so, taller and yeah. fast. But at 20, <laughs> no, but running for two weeks. This guy, oh man, Adamos. Or, <laughs> he said fast, like that's the main differentiator I just, there. Yeah. I just want to. People some, don't know about running, like yeah, that it's is insanely what, strong. Somebody on the live stream, tell me what pace that is. 17.30 for 5K. It's, like five, it's less than 5.40. Yeah, it's it's in the low fives. And on 20 miles per week. Yeah. And, and two years in. And you're, I was thinking this person's going to be 130 pounds. No. 185 pounds. Your aerobic engine. Must be massive. Is um, Like we just <laughs> talked about, you got that 420 FTP. Big in Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I'm not going to be racing you. At <laughs> ever this is crazy. Yep. He says, I'm currently cycling around 200 K or 125 miles per week. Some of cycling is more of sweet spot. Some is just easy riding to get to the, get used to the saddle, work on handling, etc. 
I've just participated in my first road race. It was 31 miles consisting of two loops. That's about 50 K for, for those uh, across the pond. And he says, and I have mixed feelings. Uh, race experience itself was great. I enjoyed riding in a bunch at around 40 kilometers an hour. So it doesn't seem like the fear component was really big. He says, however, at the start of the second loop, after a series of turns and a few hills, I got dropped from the bunch and ended up soloing the rest slightly less than six minutes behind the winner. It seems that it was leg strength and not cardiovascular shape that was limiting me. That's like a common thing that we hear. People say like, yeah, anytime I see cardio, anything, cardiovascular, cardiopulmonary, cardiorespiratory, it's uh, usually what they want to say is metabolic. So we're talking at the muscle. So don't, try not to pin it on another other aspect of the system. It's actually in the muscle. We're talking metabolic strength yep. or metabolic fit, fitness, sorry, versus strength, which is in the muscle and the brain. Awesome. Yeah. Cause a lot of times people go, my legs just gave out today, or I felt like I just couldn't get my breathing under control. And they like separate the two like legs and lungs. They try to really yeah. separate, you yeah. know? Um, but we can, we can get into that. We'll dissect that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He says, I just could not accelerate out of corners as well as others and could not generate enough power to get back in the bunch. I don't have a power meter at the moment, but my heart rate did not go through the roof. It was, and he says it was my legs who just could not go any harder. I also tend to be more of a spinner being more comfortable at around 105 than 95 as it's easier on my muscles. He says, so what kind of workout should I do to improve this riding in bigger gears and lower cadence and doing some short maximal hill sprints? Mm -hmm. What else should help in this scenario? Area. Before you jump in and give the real answer, I just want to say, it, Domos, I, I don't have a real answer. I got ideas. Okay, but you are so new, two months in, and that's you are nothing yet. <laughs> like, I mean, you don't know what you are. Yeah, um, I feel like you're going to be a national champion in the future <laughs> if you want to. The first, so I, that same weight, uh, my first 5K was like a 2350 or something, and yeah, I have a probably like a 360 watt FTP. You're doing a 1730. That's it's very like fast. Crazy. Um, especially for that weight. Uh, yep. That is, like you have a lot of ways to go. Don't. Two months in. A lot of ways to go. You have a really high ceiling and a lot of improvement you can make, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And two months in, you like, of course, you're not going to be really good at cycling and uh, all the specifics that happen in that. Yeah. And, and, and what I'm about to address is what you think it is. And then we'll talk about what I think it is, because I don't think you're facing the limiters you think you're facing. He has no <laughs> limits. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I want him to like, yeah, do like eight to 10 hours a week for three years and report back. It'd be pretty cool yeah, on the chain, on the podium, on any podium path, he wants. Fun path to watch. Yeah. So, so the assumption in this case is that the legs just couldn't keep up that he's a runner. He's got a big engine. Yeah. That's fine. It's just the legs couldn't keep up. Yeah. Right. So I have, I have three theories on this. Um, you're, you're limited by one of three things, either force production or mm -hmm. your anaerobic power or reading a course, AKA experience yes. or, or a mix. Or mix, <laughs> yeah, <Yep. clears> for <throat> sure. It could be a yeah. mix of all those things, but mm -hmm. I'm leaning heavily toward the third. But let's mm -hmm. cover the other two things first, just to, you know, if you want to address them, if you think they are actually limiting you, here, here's some here's some ways that you can uh, try to target those specific things. So first off, if you're trying to increase your force, basically how, how hard you can push the pedals, and we're just talking like a one-time thing. You know, obviously, you need to repeat it many times for it to... <laughs> to power a bike. But if you, if you want to increase the force, you have to address your, your type two fibers. Um, and with endurance athletes, I, I see a common theme in that type two fibers are pretty much neglected. I actually term it type two fiber neglect, and it's not so much neglected as it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is depending on the type of racer you are, but, um, it, 
it's it's probably it's not the low hanging fruit I think some people think it is because you can address anaerobic power, you can address strength, and you can do these things short term and see improvements in both of them. But do they positively impact your performance as an endurance athlete? Which is always the big question. Once again, we've hit this home. I don't even know how many times, but we've talked about strength training, everything else. A lot of people assume that when I go to the gym and I lift weights mm -hmm. and I work on that force that I'm doing right, and I hit those type two fibers, yep. and I do a one rep max, I do something that's really heavy, or I really push that let that sled, you know, really hard, something uh -huh. like that, that doesn't necessarily make you a better cyclist. Remember what no, we're talking about is pushing way less weight effectively when you're pedaling a bike and doing it yeah. countless times. And there are, there are other benefits to doing those things though. So I don't ever sure. want to discourage somebody from mixing it up, from throwing different stresses at their bodies, from doing strength mm -hmm. training and, and, uh, achieving all the benefits that come with strength training mm -hmm. as, as just a person. So the health benefits, the general benefits, yep. but you do as an endurance cyclist or an endurance athlete, if you're focused on, say this guy does want to be a national champion, then you have to start to balance those things with a bit of reason. Ask yourself, do they improve my performance on the bike? Do they make me a faster bike racer? Totally. Cause in a lot of cases they make you a better athlete. They don't necessarily make you a better cyclist. Mm -hmm. That's why we don't see a lot of CrossFit looking folks at the front of a climbing Not race. typically heavy guys. That's, that's <laughs> just mass that isn't, isn't doing them any favors. Yep. Um, so as far as the, the slow force work you recommended, I do think slow force repetitions, um, have their place, but I think they're more with keeping a sprinter sharp. I think they're, they're, they're beneficial when someone has a really high anaerobic contribution and they want to kind of breathe some aerobic, uh, capabilities into mm -hmm. those anaerobic fibers, into those type two twitch or type two fast twitch fibers. Uh -huh. So as far as improving, you know, how hard you can press the, press the pedals and how that's going to benefit you as a rider. I don't think slow force work is the right way for most people to go about it. Certainly mm -hmm. not you, uh, Adomas. Mm -hmm. Um, and and there are other benefits to be gained from that in, in, in particular, if you're a new rider and you're trying to see how well you pedal the bike and how well your knee tracks. And if you're shifting all over the place, how your bike fits, those are things that are easier to glean when you're pedaling more slowly at oh, higher yeah. force demands. I did a lot of that this year when I was uh, getting back in from the injury and I was concerned about that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And I know that that's like post injury, but I would recommend it to anybody that's relatively new, or if you don't mm -hmm. feel like you have a very clear fix on what your body is doing and every part of your body, when you're pedaling your yeah. bike, it's a good way to and be, it could be a to... good way to reinforce connective tissue mm -hmm. too, as long as you do it at low loads. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're new to it, especially if you're new to cycling, also don't dive into high load, slow force work. That's mm -hmm. a recipe for, for injury. Yeah. Um, so, and then another way to increase force is with heavy strength training. And, and anytime we talk about how does strength training benefit an endurance athlete, it's always muscle economy. We hear people talk about muscle economy and, and I kind of want to describe what I think what they're describing when they say muscle economy is, is neural adaptations. So basically how well the brain <clears throat> the spinal cord, so your central nervous system, your CNS communicates with the muscles. Cool. So this, this is largely done via that neuromuscular system. And it's not as much about the muscle as you might think. <clears throat> so in the case of strength training, we're looking for, um, improved neural drive. So your brain is actually capable of recruiting more muscle fiber, um, decreased inhibition. Like if you have your, your quadriceps pushing, then your hamstrings, if they're contracting mm -hmm. as well, that's a type of, uh, antagonistic inhibition. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and it's, it's not favorable. You want that muscle to completely shut off and, and, and it learns to shut off supposedly by increasing the communication lines between your brain and your muscles. So these are things that you might not recognize you're picking up in the gym when you get on the bike, hmm. but it's not necessarily because you got stronger in the gym. Now you're stronger on the bike. It's, it's not quite that clean or simple. 
that that makes a lot of sense. So we've talked, yeah, that that clears up, I guess, why pushing really heavy weight doesn't just help you. Yeah, in yeah, that yeah. There are other benefits, and mm-hmm. that, and those are benefits that can help you ride your bike better. Mm-hmm. But it's not as, as straightforward as you might think. Um, and then when it comes to combining strength training with endurance training, that's typically labeled concurrent training. And and there's a lot of research that shows whether you're a a well-trained athlete, a moderate trained athlete. And now I don't know how new it is, or if it's just a new study to me, but an elite elite level athlete can all see benefits in their power at four millimoles. So basically their lactate steady state are close to it. Their 30 second wind gate <laughs> or, when, power or when we're sleeping and breathing. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, or 19 for some people. Yeah. That four millimoles is subjective. So it right. could be mm-hmm. six in some riders, five and others. You'll, you'll others. see four millimoles like used many times in place of maximal lactate steady state. Yeah. Cause it was studies. assumed for a long time. That's mm-hmm. where most people leveled out when in fact it's we've, we've since learned that that's not the case. Yep. Um, 40 minute all out power. So that's probably a really good measure of threshold power yep. and, and strength training has lent to in a, a wide range of athletes improvements in that too. Which is but, amazing when you think about it. And it really, it is. that's where it really breaks down that whole concept of the fact that I'm pushing heavy weight. Therefore I can push my pedals really hard. Yeah. It's much more like you said about the economy. That's there are built. other changes mm-hmm. that take place a little under the surface that matter quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> what the, the, the problem with this is and why it's such a contentious topic is because if for any study you can find in support of it, you can probably find something that directly counters it. <laughs> I mean, so specifically that it's creepy. It's like someone saw that study and said, no, what I'm going to refute that. I'm going to show that that study is wrong and they'll, they'll do it. Yeah. The other parts that, um, cause this is such a highly debated topic on yeah. forums oh, it's yeah. that we want to see is longer terms, like a season or two, mm-hmm. like many years. And then also to match the time with cycling, because that's always the, the mm. two people, like they match the cycling, like me and Chad are going to cycle exact same amount, but, but I'm going to add, but you're going to add strength exactly. training yeah. mm-hmm. and I don't add anything. Well, that's not what our dilemma is. Our dilemma is, right. should I be cycling or strength training? Yeah, we, we both get 10 time. hours. How are we going to divvy it up? Yeah, right. exactly. That would, in that, in this case, that would be a better, better, pro, uh, intervention design. Yeah, yeah. for sure. That, uh, huh. Interesting. Okay. And then there's a, <clears throat> the possibility of explosive strength, strength training. I'm going to interrupt you. What if, I want to get to the size where we can just fund like long-term studies like this. It'd be I mean, amazing. Right. Cause we, I want to know that answer. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're expensive. Um, yeah. but it, it'd be, there's so many, there's so many fun things that we could do. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Right. And we don't really yeah. care what the answer is. Right. Like yeah. we're not like a product we're just trying to find no, we're true north, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll just, and little else. We'll yeah. just change whatever we do to match that. Sure. I want to cool. do that. Okay. Let's yeah. get bigger. Yeah. Okay. That ha- okay. Go to trainerroad.com. That's how you can make <laughs> yeah, it Yeah. Tell your friends about trainerroad. <laughs> uh, but Chad, uh, explosive strength training. Sorry, okay. Yeah. Interrupted you. <clears throat> so, so another yeah, method reason. supposedly, or, or another method athletes use to chase improvements in, in uh, force production is explosive strength training. Mm-hmm. And I want to make clear, make it clear. This is not plyometric <laughs> training. There is a distinction. So explosive strength, meaning you, you go from nothing to something really rapidly and plyometrics, th- there's a similarity there, but plyometrics rely on a, a rebound or a stretch shortening cycle. So there has to be an eccentric contraction or a lengthening before the actual contraction. That's not something we get on a bike. Yeah. You just don't, there's no way to really preload and jump one, one muscles doing that our, our legs counter each other. So yeah. for, for us to do that, it's, it's not achievable unless you're bunny hopping or something, <clears throat> right? <laughs> yeah. Where both legs are in the same position yep. and, and yeah, but that's, that's something else. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the idea here is that with explosive training going from, you know, no motion to, to, uh, a high level of, of motion, uh, or speed or power or uh, not power, but, uh, force mm-hmm. is that you bypass the slower fiber recruitments and you still recruit them, but they just get recruited so rapidly. There's no real training stimulus delivered to them. And you just jump straight through the fiber continuum and you hit those fast twitch fibers. Huh. And that's the idea. 
Can that make you a better uh, rider in general? Probably not. Can that give you more snap so that you can cover the things, which I'm going to get to in a minute, is why mm. I think he suffered as much as he did? Yeah, that, that might be useful. Um, but if uh, I know I saw a video with Peter Sagan training. He had a lightly loaded barbell and just doing back squats, but he was doing a slow descent and then a really rapid upward. And they had f figured out upward movement. They had figured out the proper weight so that he could move at a very specific rate relative to how fast he has to jam the pedals down. Hmm. So there's a heck of a lot of science in this. It wasn't just go in there, load the bar and see that you can move quickly. They were being really detailed about it. Wow. So there's there's something there. And then finally, um, you can do sprint training. And whether it's mixed training or dedicated training. And mixed training meaning that you have sprints sprinkled in to your workout or your ride. Mm -hmm. And then dedicated meaning you actually do sprint intensity training where you go, you gas, full gas, 20 seconds or 30 seconds, whatever it is, rest for five minutes, repeat. So, and, and you know, a handful of those, five, six, seven, maybe eight. Mm -hmm. And that's your workout. And that, that conveys a lot of in, improvements in just your uh, anaerobic capabilities as well as your aerobic capabilities, depending huh. on how you structure the workout. And then um, the other thing not to lose sight of is there has to be a component of the, the rate of force development. You can't just wind your force up quickly. You have to get it rapidly. Mm -hmm. And there are two aspects of that. One is cadence drills. So we use cadence drills to teach ourselves how to pedal fluidly, but also how to pedal quickly without hemorrhaging uh, energy. Mm -hmm. And then strength training would be the other side of that. So you mm -hmm. got, to, got to have the speed and you got to have the strength. And then of course you mash the two together and you've got the ability to not only generate high levels of force, but to do it rapidly, which in bike racing is crucial. That's power, speed and force, right? You got it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Okay. So that's the first one. And the other ones are shorter, I promise. But if you have to increase <laughs> force, there's a, in a nutshell, big nutshell, how to, uh, go about it. And touching on that. And I know that we're going to touch on this a little later too, but mm -hmm. we actually have for the strength training side of things, your recommendations, you can look that up on our blog or on our forum and you can find it in either place, but coach Chad's strength training recommendations and where you basically outline, like, cause a lot of this, a person will be thinking, okay, well I can lift X amount. I wonder mm -hmm. if I need to do more. And we basically outlined what we feel or what Chad feels is like sufficient levels of strength for different types of cyclists. Yeah, and that's largely that aimed at <clears throat> creating a strong body that, that can mm -hmm. handle the, these sort of stressors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stress. What about anaerobic work capacity? Yeah, so if that's, that's, that's another possibility. So maybe he's got the force yeah. production capabilities and he can do it quickly. So maybe his anaerobic engine needs work. Um, this is a touchy area with, with endurance athletes, but with mass start racers, um, especially we have to have a, a decent amount of anaerobic work capacity. Oh, yeah. We have to be able That's to utilize win. that. Mm -hmm. It is. It's usually it's all the pivotal moves. Everything that really matters is typically made with some anaerobic contribution, even so it if it's separates hitting, you from others. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even if it's hitting a long climb, the anaerobic contribution over the course of say a 30 minute climb, when, when, when these top level riders or the guys who are heading the field, there's, there's a, a recognizable contribution. Yep. That's what we see. Like when a rider is riding away from some, from other people, you know, at that point <clears> they're <throat> utilizing their anaerobic work capacity. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah, that's to, to an increasing extent. Exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. probably as long as it lasts. And that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's the thing with anaerobic <laughs> work capacity is so, so whether we measure, uh, you know, threshold in Watts, yeah. you, me you typically measure your anaerobic work capacity. So anything above threshold in kilojoules. And, mm -hmm. and when they're gone, they're gone. So say you have an anaerobic work capacity of 20 kilojoules. Mm -hmm. You can figure out how you want to spend that, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So you can work slightly over threshold for maybe 12 minutes, or you can work way over threshold for 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. And you can blow through it rapidly or slowly, but anything above threshold is going to start to deplete that anaerobic work capacity. Mm -hmm. So 
and, and like I said, it's it's very dependent on that that whole duration power relationship. Mm-hmm. But if it's above threshold, you're touching it. If it's below threshold, for that matter, you're still touching it, just not to as measurable a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how do you go about increasing anaerobic work capacity? There are a lot of ways. Um, we do, uh, or I do, or have incorporated bursts into a lot of the sweet spot base workouts mm-hmm. um, for this very reason. And they start short with like five and twelve second, and those are more aimed at your CP stores, for instance. Or mm-hmm. specifically, creatine phosphate. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. So the really rapid, rapidly depleted, but high energy or high availability fuel stores, mm-hmm. and then longer duration stuff, um, like thirty seconds to two minutes, which there are dedicated workouts to those. And a few examples for for subscribers uh, is striped, and then win w y n n e, and red, and uh, well, we go back to striped. Those are fifteen to second, re- uh, fifteen to sixty second repeats. So the shorter end of things, the higher power. That one is brutal. It looks like nothing because yeah. there's just these little teeny like lines <laughs> yeah, yeah. drawn on the it screen. Is. Yeah, yeah. And those, uh, with with most of the ones, I'm just about to do, well striped, win, and red. There's ample recovery between them, mm-hmm. but it's still not fully sufficient yeah. because in order to, de- to to replenish the stores that we're depleting here, it, you're looking at like a ten minute window. It takes quite a long time to fully mm-hmm. replenish them. Uh, yeah, producer Tucker, can you put all these? Uh, in the forum post for this, all these workouts in the forum post for this episode. You can just search episode 215 and you'll find it there. Cool. And then uh, short shorts work as well, but not the real densely packed ones. So you can, uh, once you've gotten good at repeating 15, 30, 45 second efforts and you want to stack them more closely together, more like you'll utilize them in an actual race, then you have to practice that in your training too. And that's that's when it starts to tie back to how aerobically fit you are because those those stores replenish more quickly based on your aerobic fitness. Um, and, and workouts in that regard are Black Giant, Black Kawea, and there, there's a ton of them. But uh-huh. they, they look short, shortish, but you'll see probably four to one rest re- or work recovery ratios or uh-huh. recovery work ratios in that case. But you'll rest for a good long time before you repeat it because we're trying to keep the power up high something you can't do if you stack them too closely together you can accumulate so much time at a specific intensity with with that yeah, very high intensity in the case of these workouts yep but it need it, it should be said that you, you can't ever really overemphasize your anaerobic work capacity as an endurance athlete you're going to rely on it you're going to utilize it but if that's your priority and that's what you're targeting it will probably come at the expense of, it will come at the expense of your aerobic work capacity. Yeah. Now this is interesting because these are specific things and specific intensities that you want to work at and a specific Mm -hmm. approach. And I want to contrast that to what, um, was, was suggested in this case of just doing hill repeats, maximal hill sprints, riding Mm -hmm. big gears and lower cadence. A lot of the time we're, we're tempted to think that because I got dropped in this scenario, I need to replicate that scenario. But that's not the way that we think of it here at Trainer. We, we rely on science, right? And we think that, that if we take a scientific approach to finding out what sort of demands are really at play there, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily just repeating that specific hill. It's not repeating or replicating that scenario. It's training the energy systems that you need in, the, in those times. So mm-hmm. uh, those are the workouts that would do that specific thing. Why'd you make Spanish needle besides <laughs> yeah. to torture us? That's again, it's kind of a race, race simulation sort of workout. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a criterium workout yeah. basically, so, yeah, but it's so, a lot of, sorry, Jonathan, mm-hmm. it's a really high. So Spanish needle is 15 seconds 15, on 15, 15 seconds yeah. off at 150% FTP. Yep. And it's six sets of eight 
minutes. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, it's awful. They're microbursts, but microbursts carry so many training benefits, so many yeah. overlapping benefits. Oh yeah, and it's this is one that if like you can't finish it right away, don't worry. Like yeah, it's okay. Yeah. To, it's okay. It, it's to, an easy one to break apart too, because yeah. because those those dense little sets you just skip an interval, and yeah. you're taking a 15 second recovery and growing it to 45 seconds, which probably puts you back in there, yep. keeps the quality really high. But those workouts in particular are really good for what I just described. Not only do you have to put out a lot of force because you really have to jam the pedals down to hit 150 percent of your threshold. But you also have to get it really quickly because you're going from a 15-second valley where you're way down to 40%, just noodling along, and then you have to get up to one and a half times your threshold now, I yes. mean, like right now. Snap. So Boom. it works on your rate of development as much as it works on your ability to, to generate that force. And if you're listening to this and you think, Spanish needles easy <clears throat> for me. For some people, that sort of stuff is like Pete Morris, for <laughs> example. He's the only one. I, I'm the same way. <laughs> it's uh, easy for you? Spanish needles, well, relatively easy? speaking. Yeah, okay. Relatively okay. speaking. Uh, yeah, I never feel the dread or anything else like that for Spanish needle. It's like, a, I see that one, I'm like, but yeah, see, good. So, so you, so have, you, you have everything required for that workout, though. Mm -hmm. You can generate exactly. force quickly, you can generate high amounts of force, and you have a big aerobic engine so that you can recover really quickly yeah. as those intervals go on. Because the difference between the second and third interval and the difference between the seventh and eighth interval are very different in terms of energy contribution, the anaerobic versus the aerobic. Yeah. And what I'm getting at here is the fact that uh, we may, you know, you listening to this, you need to, you may need to work on something totally different than this, but this just shows the specific approach to, to really working on specific aspects of your fitness rather than just, you know, trying to replicate scenarios. You need to try Spanish Neo plus three, not this week before Leadville, okay. but it's, so it's two hours long. <laughs> And it's four by 15 minutes. Stupid. That's so 15. Minutes. So twice, it's just yeah. basically doubling the size of the sets. So Pete, that's and I, Pete and I'll do minutes. it. That's yeah. a total of 30 minutes at one and a half times threshold. Yeah. 150%. Yeah. All yeah. told. Pete and I, uh, Pete, I'm sure you're listening to this or watching this live right now uh, here at Trainer Road. I we'll do this and we'll, we'll I'll like try put it. our trainers next to each other. It'll be fun. I'll so. just put a. Uh, I will not. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'd actually would like to do this and I'll just skip maybe like. Two or three. Yeah, every, and, that's, and that's the beauty. Every of it. other everyone, one. <laughs> everyone can do this workout. You can yeah. do exactly that. You could do every other one and still get, in in this case, fifteen minutes at one hundred and fifty percent of threshold. That's yeah. a really strong mus muscle stimulus. Yeah. Next week might be tough because we have a three day stage race in the middle of the week. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, maybe the week after, or maybe we just toss it in after the stage race and see how that goes. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> uh, we didn't okay. say too. Next week, Lee's coming. Yes, Lee oh, yeah. McCormick uh, is coming, which is going to be awesome. And actually, we'll touch on that soon. Um, at which. Lee likes bikes. We've had him on the podcast before. It's going to be amazing. We're going to do a podcast with him. Uh, we're going to work on improving our skills. But the third point that I think is really important here. Yeah, so let's so get, we talked about the physical let's get away from the science. Let's go back to real life. Yes. And I forgot who we're talking to. Yeah, and uh, Adamas or Adomas. Adomas, yeah. Yes. Okay. So now <laughs> what I think it boils down to is inexperience. Oh, yeah. Which I, 100%. on the one hand, I want to tell you to pay attention. But on the other hand, I'm... I'm thinking you probably are paying close attention. You just don't know what to look for quite yet. So when, when you have a bunch of turns, when you have a, a bunch of rolling hills, there are different ways to approach them. And the longer you've raced, the more, uh, the closer you'll get to understanding how, how to make the most out of what seems obvious or what you don't even recognize other riders are doing. Yep. So I think you're just getting tailed off and, and the amount of work it takes to, to hammer, to stay on someone's wheel versus hammering to get back on someone's wheel is a, like an exponential difference. Mm -hmm. It's, it's interesting. I, I find that like, uh, we, we have a number of, uh, folks here at trainer road, trainer road employees who are doing their first season of road racing this year. <clears throat> and fun thing. some really of them are really fit mm -hmm. like people. And even like we go ride mountain bikes, for example, and they have pretty decent times going up some climbs, but then they go and do a crit or a road race and they get dropped within the 
first couple laps, right? Yeah. On, on the crit. And on that same note, first five minutes. When I was doing my best as a road racer, I thought, oh, I'm going to go do some mountain bike racing too. And mm -hmm. I got spanked because the, just the demands are different. So and different. Yeah, just different enough though. I mean, the fitness was still there. The engine was still there, but the tactics they would employ, part, parts of the hill where they would hit it, where they would find time to relax, how well they would take turns, when they would accelerate into a turn, out of a turn, things I didn't get. Same with cross. It's the holding speed is different and all those types of races until you get that skill ability mm -hmm. to be able to hold speed where you need to, mm -hmm. you get, you have to do 20%, 30% more work than everybody totally. else. Totally. And that's kind of, yep. that's what this boils down to. It's, it's really skills. Yes. In this case, we're talking skills. And it's easy to take that for granted. Once you have things figured out, you're just like, well, you're just, you're just riding like, and you know, flows. and, 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 and that's what it feels like when you get that figured out. Yeah. So, so first of all, you know, hold fast hope. You're going to have that experience when you keep riding and, and training. Yeah, I mean, it's this was his first race. Like, yeah. The amount of mistakes I, mean, I made during my first few races. It's like going back and looking at my races and, and, and how, you know, you're just inefficient, but it's not because you're, you're meaningfully doing so. It mm -hmm. just, it happens. And there's so many small little things that we do and how we know you race enough and you just know how things happen in a race mm -hmm. and you understand what is going to happen. Even if you don't know the racers, you can kind of predict what's going to happen and you can kind of have a fix on it and your body is, or your body and mind are working to, together to constantly be prepared for that or yeah. to flip that on its head. You learn how to conserve. You learn to recognize when it makes sense to work. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a lot of things you'll pick up just by going and doing races, but he's only been cycling for two months. Exactly. So yeah. get yourself a power meter trainer <clears throat> or a smart trainer and race. And well, a good amount. I, I really think you do three months of a of plans mm -hmm. and you'll be an entirely different person. Even yeah. with some of your bad skills, you'll improve so much. Cause the first two months, Chad, he hasn't done any structured training yet. Yeah. Like yeah. you'll Pretty have amazing. crazy improvements. That's, that's probably the lowest hanging fruit. Even if he had perfect skills right now, he probably, now. what? I'm so sorry. So <laughs> 531. <laughs> yeah. 531. Yes. 538. Is the, 538 is the, um, 5k pace for 730 <laughs> and for kilometers per minute, that is uh 330. It's pretty so, crazy. So what we're saying is this guy's got a big athletic potential. And if he t added in some structured training, it would just skyrocket in terms of his performance potential. It would go so, so, up probably. so far. Now, on the other hand, though, Nate, you, like this year, gone from five to two. Well, you will go to I two. Oh, I could be stuck here for <laughs> it's true. 35 yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> but you've learned a ton, and you're mm. a different racer not just in terms of like, like your performance potential, how, you know, your, your, your power to weight ratio and your just power, but you also race much more efficiently. And you've had the, mm. you know, the benefit of having Pete critique your races and go through that sort of thing. So it's been like accelerated learning, but I'm, it's made a huge difference. I assume for you, I mean, yeah, mostly the mountain biking side, I think is going to be the biggest side hmm. of like improving flow and stuff. Yeah. Um, but for the crit, I just, so the, the crit, uh, there's certain tactics about when to attack this change, but riding in the pack, um, that helped by riding with faster people where you can't, you can't hang on. Yeah. So, uh, mm. when I first started like earlier it's, in the it's, season, it's born out of necessity. Yeah. You know, when I'm a cat four 35 plus and my FTP is three fifty, um, you don't have, you can, you don't have to be as efficient, but right. I remember back in the day when I would race the A's or even the B's or the C's and I was really unfit, <clears throat> mm -hmm. man, you had to be so efficient. You're just yeah. hiding the whole time or else you'd like every lap I could get dropped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling the dice, right? Exactly. And I yeah. think that's, there's something to be said with that about racing with the the faster people where you're, we're always about to get dropped and you have to be efficient. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Right that's now. a great point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's where you're, that's where you really start to race better. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 If you're it's, and that's, you know, the argument for, if you get to a point where you're just dominating in a, 
in a lower category, yeah. you know, no, at that point you move up. That's hopefully. actually one of the benefits you're going to have should you, when you get your Cat 2 license. You'll be able to you double up. You me. You'll, no, when you get it eventually. Happen, yeah. You'll be able to double up and, you know, do the master's race and then jump in with the P12 where you have to struggle for survival. That's Those are always hard because the P12 is always after the master's race. Yeah. So you've, you've just done a 60-minute race you're and good, then you're, you're good and warm. racing with the pros. <laughs> <laughs> just a good warm-up, that's yeah. all. And the cool thing is, though, that forces, like, maximum efficiency. And that's one thing that I've noticed, like, watching the Cliff Bar racers, watching the, any top team, right? Whether it's mm -hmm. even, like, in NorCal here, Mike Spikes, or you watch any top team, man, especially look at the back watch. of the pack. And you can see some guys and the things they do, and they are incredibly efficient. I know, watch any of the USA Crit series that uh -huh. they're they're televising now, yep. and and start with the Cat Fives. I mean, start and just just touch on each of those races and see the vast disparity between how how well they ride, how fast they ride. That, that's obviously mm -hmm. tied to fitness, but how well they ride, yep. and and how much energy they're. I can't think of a better word than the bad word. Um, <laughs> that they're losing, losing, yeah, wasting, <laughs> wasting. Yeah, okay. Versus the faster riders who yeah. are, yeah, are putting out a ton of power, going really fast, but they're so good at conserving oh, yeah. and so preserving. I, this is why I think, I've, in my experience, <clears throat> the North, Northern California, three plus one, two, three race is easier to stay in the pack than a, a Cat three race. Mm. The Cat three race has more of these like You're let's throw it on a seventeen right. and all these young strong guys that should be cat two, cat one, yeah. accelerate and yeah. slow down. Where the yeah. 35 plus, it goes, you know, it hits 22 and someone's attacking again. So yeah. it doesn't have as big a swings of acceleration. Mm -hmm. um, same with the pro race. You never see the pro race go down to 17 miles per hour or 18 miles per hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where the, yeah. yeah it's like a neutral lap young after guys a crash. Are, they're like, <laughs> They got snapped. Too. They got yeah, some snapped. They do, yeah. but it's wasteful racing. But, yeah, these, but it's these well, are things you have to work your way through. You have to understand yeah. make how much people, more I can do if I don't waste that energy. Yeah. They make old people like me tired, though. It can oh, yeah. spit them yeah. off. Yeah. Exactly, it can yeah. be the right thing to do, <laughs> <laughs> depending on. I was going to Sam's question uh, on the tone of crits, actually. He says, a simple, quick question on racing techniques. In my local UK Cat 3-4 races, I, find, I keep finding myself in the same situation. Using a technique you mention often, I will use my momentum to roll around the outside of the pack and try to break away. It has never worked though, which is more down to my <laughs> ability than to the, the tactic. Says, but then I get boxed in every time as the Peloton catches me and rolls through. So he's rolling around the outside on a turn, right? He's getting away and then everybody catches him. And then he says that he gets boxed in after that. He's kind of yeah. locked into the pack. He says, there'll be a constant line of riders with no gaps. And so I go from first or second down to near the rear of the pack in a group of 30 riders. There's no way for me to pull out and into the line as there are no gaps. Is this just bad technique for me? And he says, uh, I shouldn't get into that. And that's something where I shouldn't get into that position to start with. Or is there anything I can do to force my way back into that pace line? Both. Thanks for the tips and advice each week. Keep up the good work. That's pretty, like, if you're stringing out 30 riders single file, you did a pretty good attack. Well, Take some confidence thing. there. Yeah, right? If uh -huh. they're really strung out 30 long, then, yeah. You, you did a good job. Yep, yeah. and you could probably do it better because yeah. if you can go that fast and make 30 guys string out, then you've got a lot of power. Do it again, and you're going to find a hole to sneak back in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you can if you stretch it out once, then you can somehow manage to even fake it to stretch it out again. Mm -hmm. You'll find some so holes. We should do two, uh, two parts of this. One is the tactic of rolling through, and mm -hmm. the second is getting back into a line. Yeah. Pete's the best at rolling through. I wish we had Pete with us. Um, He's a, I can go get him. He's right there. That's true. We could go get him. Uh, Pete, if you're listening, you can just jump on in and share my mic. Um, but the, the interesting thing with that move is, uh, so much of it comes down to the awareness of other riders to what you're doing. Right. 
Um, so we're it's just it, yeah. kind of separating this from Sam's situation. We're just talking about attacking around the outside. If you carry a bunch of momentum around the outside, but people are waiting for it and you're marked or they know that they're going to do that, mm-hmm. they're going to latch on really quickly. Yeah, that's exactly what we just talked about. I mean, getting onto a move versus waiting two or three seconds and then getting onto that same move is hugely more costly. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of a tricky thing that I see a lot of people, uh, if they try to do this, they roll to the outside, but everybody is aware of that move and they go. Got to be sneaky. And where Pete is really good at this is he is a, has a has does a good job of reading the field and knowing when they are aren't expecting that or when they aren't paying attention to that. Mm-hmm. And I'm that's bring, when he goes. I'm bringing him in right now. Awesome. We can get the the shaman of yep. sorts on this one to come in. And the the benefit of rolling around the outside, what we're really talking about here is in most cases, racers want to protect the inside line. They want to hug tight. They want to cut out as much track. They aren't expecting a rider to go wide. Mm-hmm. They And when this is done, usually you need to hit it with a ton of relative speed. The okay. speed differential yep. between the front of the pack and you should be very great. Like you should have a ton yeah, more speed. And they, they're always talking about you can't come from that far back. You got to be 10 or 15 riders back. And for a lot of riders, that's probably true because mm-hmm. they probably can't jump quite hard enough. But you can come from 30 or 40 riders back if yeah. you can get the, the, the opening and you've got enough uh, enough physical capability to yep. drum up a lot of speed really quickly. Yeah. It depends on the size of the field. Or uh, slowly, depending. And how fast the group is going. There's a couple of videos. Um, I think well, there's two video no yeah two videos i think online right now that show me uh there's a pack of like 15 20 people it's going slow i actually drop off the back of the pack mm-hmm. like a good 20 30 feet and then mm-hmm. accelerate into the pack and then around them mm-hmm. and then you've got a seven Slingshot. seven mile per hour differential yeah. yeah and then they can't like it's really hard to get on and with it's that. a it's mm-hmm. a it has to be a discouraging differential too if you yeah. gradually roll by even if you're gutting yourself for two or three four maybe five miles an hour faster than the field that's too enticing oh, too yeah. many people are going to go with that yeah okay in, we pete. have pete now pete's here pete you want to just take jonathan's chair <laughs> you can I'll, take I'll my ask chair. you the the question <clears throat> okay we're talking about rolling around the outside okay. okay so what we're what this guy's asking is he's done the attack rolling the outside it never works and okay. then he also then, when they catch him, he can't get back into the line. So first, let's talk about how do you do that roll around the outside or just the, the, the attack when it slows down. Um, the course kind of has to be uh, productive for rolling around the outside. Like if the, a lend to it. Um, on our four-corner crit, if you attack on the outside, even on the last turn, you just go so much further. So you're going 50 feet further. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure that your line and your trajectory is actually still the same distance, right? On that fourth corner, usually attack on the inside. Yeah, and yeah. then you and then you squ- squeeze wide after that, yeah. right? The second corner is where you go wide mm-hmm. on that course. Mm-hmm. So it makes sure that your the outside doesn't always work every time. We have actually another race video that we're going to record today where someone attacks. He goes wide on that exact line, mm-hmm. and he gives up all his. He has like thirty feet, and he gives it all up in yep. one corner by going too wide. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. So that's probably the first check to make sure that you're only traveling. You're not traveling any extra distance by attacking on the outside. The only reason the outside works really well is because you can keep your momentum high. You're taking a less um, desirable line. Yeah, less desirable line, but you can keep the speed high, and it. it mitigates the um and then getting back in it probably means you're blowing up a little bit when from your move right Mm -hmm. but if someone's not letting you in how do you get back in (laughs) you can rely on the kindness of others sometimes sometimes if you point it depends how fast they're rolling by too but sometimes if you point and try to claim a spot sometimes they'll let you in and pick who you're gonna move in front of some people are some people won't let you in and some people might and some people will 
Yeah. So take a look back, see who's coming up, and out of the three or four riders that you're going, pick the one who's most likely to let you in. And they have to move out of your way if you're in front of them and you get into the line. I find you too, can be aggressive with it. Yeah. As a bigger rider, like people want a bigger rider in front of them. Like you, sh- in a mm-hmm. race, you should want me in front of you because you're going to get the best it's draft. The best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're like Jose size, who's uh, Jose five six maybe? Yeah, I never um, go behind Jose. Yeah, you don't want Jose in, right? <laughs> that, that's a good. Sh- it's a good example though too. If you got a big guy coming um, coming back, like let them in front of you, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you think that they're strong, they're not going to open up a wheel. Mm-hmm. Second question. Well, Pete. That, well, that's like with a pace line though. So what about when the whole field envelops you? Because if he's talking about dang or sitting in front of the field, all you do is slow down. I mean, the field will go around you, and you just mm-hmm. reintegrate wherever you want to. Yeah, I, I think he's talking about getting caught. Like he attacks by a line of riders. He doesn't have a yeah. A, a, he doesn't keep his gap, and then the a pace line pretty much single pace line comes by him, and yeah. then he gets thirtieth wheel because he can't mm-hmm. get, uh, insert himself back in. Mm. Yeah, part of it's being aggressive. Part of it's being aggressive and knowing that <clears throat> when you're going to get caught, like you have to accelerate a little bit. When the speed differential is too high, you're not going to get in no matter what. Yeah, that's a big one, right? Yeah. Um, last question, Pete. Okay. So, how do you? If you do this rolling by attack that, you know, when it's, when's the right time? We've talked about before, but how do you know if, say, it's not a corner, it's just a straight, when do you do the, the attack from, from back, like, 15, 20 wheels? So my, the way I always think about it is you can see when people are giving up a couple seconds before they really lay off the pace, and you just want the front of the field to be going that much slower that when you you don't have to do any extra work, you're just holding the same pace and you get to attack for yeah. free, yeah. right? Um, and it's the same kind of effort level as if everybody stayed on the gas through the whole straight or through the turn or whatever. Um, you just add 10 seconds to that that pace making, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you're off the front. What I see is if there, there's like a lot of times there's an accordion, and in the back, mm-hmm. like it accelerates, it accelerates, and you see like they're all going to, Mm-hmm. slow down, but then you just keep accelerating mm-hmm. and then there's now a four or five mile per hour difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <clears throat> a lot of the time it's committing to it. You have to actually know that you're going to make it before the corner or by the end of the straight or whatever. And you, if you hesitate for a half a second, then it doesn't work at all. And mm-hmm. it's like worse than not doing it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Is going to, uh, doing it into a corner where then you can like come around the group and get that best line mm-hmm. in the corner, like a really good spot. That's my favorite way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it, that takes some timing and a little bit more finesse, but definitely that's a great way to practice it. And you also have to get pretty good with the idea of kicking yourself when you're down. So if you're feeling good, chances are everyone else is feeling good. Mm-hmm. So you don't you don't save these moves for you know the bottom of a hill. You got you guys have all descended together. I see you see it happen all the time. You get to the bottom of a hill, everyone's fresh, and attacks start to go. It's the worst possible time yeah. to attack. Everyone's everyone's going to cover that. But you like on this first corner of the course we talk about, you're 20 laps into a race. Everyone's already gassed. They start to let up a bit, or there's a big headwind on that corner, which mm-hmm. there often is. There often is. That's where you hit them. If you're hurting, they're hurting. You just got to be willing to hurt a little bit more. Yeah. Get that gap. Ten, keep ten more gap. seconds, right? It's seriously, yeah, yep. ten seconds. Cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Pete. All right. Yeah, for sure. You guys have <laughs> fun. Okay. <Pete>. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple things to add. I feel like we're like Thanks, the Tonight Pete. Show. That was awesome. We're I know, like, right? We had guests stepping in. Yeah, guests just stepping in. He's happened to be <laughs> here. That's pretty great. <laughs> uh, one, one thing, when you have a line of 30 riders, mm-hmm. there is somebody, there's more than one person that is really dying to hold a wheel in that group. Sure. Just the odds are saying that's the case. Mm-hmm. And they're actually going to be pretty grateful if you want to step in because in their mind at that point, that's going to equal a second of relief. 
So if you can't fit in, stay close and do not relent and just let those riders, if they don't let you in, let the next rider pass you, you're going to find a hole and also if you pressure the situation. If you've done this enough times and you've shown yourself to be an aggressive rider, and oh, especially yeah. if you've shown yourself to be a capable rider of being able to make breakaways stick, yes, people will be happy to let you in in front of them because uh -huh. you're the wheel they want to mark. They want to be on your wheel. Yep. Re-emphasizing the point once again, if you really have stretched out to 30 riders single file, that hurt that field. And if you do that a couple more times, you are going to find gaps. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I wanted to recap of what Pete said the best time to do that was he said, you can tell when people start to give up and that's the time and you need to be going. It's not once the field has slowed down in some cases it can still work, but yeah. you want to do it once the field has it's, started decelerating. Like, it's just like, like doing like it at the bottom of a downhill. Mm -hmm. If you wait till everyone's gone slow for five, 10 seconds and they're ready to go again, yeah. terrible time. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a really good point. It's the change of pace. So if you can't mm -hmm. do this from the front, oh, it's really hard to do it from the front. Yeah. You're in the back, really there's hard. a change of pace where the front slowing down, but the back is still going fast, you normally either run in the back and hit the brakes, mm -hmm. but that is when you're accelerating through. Mm -hmm. That's where you have to decide, is now a good time? Or you have to do what I did is you, like, you get off the back of the room really slow and then you accelerate like, if, unless you have a really crazy snap, then you can accelerate into the group and mm -hmm. come around. That's yep. a dangerous tactic though, because if they whip it up <laughs> and you're 20 feet off, <laughs> you're like, oh no. It's tricky. <laughs> and, and, and also one thing to keep in mind, if a rider does that and then we catch that rider and then the rider folds back <laughs> in, as a racer, the thing that I want to do at that point is I am going to, if I'm racing you, I'm going to wick it up and I'm going to make it really fast right then. But if it's a dangerous rider, especially. Mm -hmm. Because I want, even if it's like kind of, you know, if I'm writing checks that I can't cash, so to speak, you know, I'm going to do that because there's a good chance that you're in your most vulnerable state. And if I pick up the pace at that moment, it's going to really take it out of you to latch back on. Yeah. It's, so, like a, it's almost like a subtle counterattack. Mm -hmm. You're just putting a little extra pressure on a tired rider. Yep. That's all you have to do. And that's what good teams do. If you'll, if you watch like good racers and good teams, mm. they're constantly keeping track of who's spending what energy and they're going to make them pay double for whatever energy that is. That's their goal. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's when you're racing against really good racers. Like that's something that Chad does like racers that have a ton of experience. That's just second nature for them. It's what you're supposed to do when you race, but a lot of us don't think of it that way. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a really good point to do VJ's question. He says multiple times on longer rides of over 75 kilometers. When I do a very hard effort in the middle of it, say a hill climb of about 30 minutes done at FTP or above, he says FTP plus. So I assume that's probably like trying to hold FTP, but going a little, a little over the top. Mm -hmm. He says, I find my power falls off afterwards. I'm, un I'm unable to maintain the same average power or get my heart rate up to what I did before. And during the climb. I'm very careful about in-ride nutrition and hydration. So how can I overcome this? So a hard effort in the middle of the ride and thereafter mm -hmm. you are not the same rider. Yeah. So it could be a matter of nutrition, <clears throat> hydration, but probably not. It's probably just a matter of, uh, going too deep. Yep. And so it happens. I mean, for, for a stretch of that long, 30 plus minutes, even being close to FTP is going to be costly and it's going to run down your anaerobic end of things. So oh, yeah. meaning that you're going to have to rely more and more on the aerobic end of things. And that's going to get you what 85, 90% of what you can do. Mm -hmm. So you got to understand if you're going to work that hard, you have to, you have to plan for some recovery in there somewhere, because the only way you replenish the energy that you've just burned down is by going below threshold and mm -hmm. well below it, depending on how, how bad you hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. So again, that, that anaerobic work capacity we talked about isn't just a contributor when you're above threshold. It's contributing all the way up to threshold. It just gets exponentially more, becomes more of a contribu con contribution 
when you're above it, but even when you're below it, when you're like 90%, 95%, there's quite a bit, 85%, 80%. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's in effect. So if you're going to do those efforts, you have to, I mean, if it's a hill, then you have to know that I'm going to recover on the downhill. I'm going to, I'm barely going to turn my legs over. It's a fast descent. I'm going to get a good long rest before you commit to something like that. Otherwise this is probably going to be the outcome. Yeah. I can't think of a, a ride that I've done that has like a 30 minute effort where I go all out and I've felt fine afterward. You know, you go 30 minutes at your threshold. Yeah. That's exhausting. There's gotta be some recovery coming. You know, that's just how it goes. BJ, you're, you're discussing about being a human, like you <laughs> yeah. do 30 minutes at, at threshold and then just hurts. everything else, my heart rate's higher. Look at any like train a road ride that has threshold intervals. Every interval, you see the heart rate tick up afterwards, right? Yeah. It's tougher. And every interval gets the RP is, is harder. If you want to get better at this, do more 30 minute intervals in training, do more sweet spot work. Mm -hmm. Um, then work up to like, I wouldn't just start in 30 minutes at threshold, but do longer sweet spot work, then Mm -hmm. do shorter, uh, threshold work and then maintain it, but do repeatability and you'll get better at doing, uh, uh, repeating it. Yeah. yeah. And, and when you make these, when you encounter these 30 minute climbs, don't do them at FTP plus, do them at FTP minus. I yeah. mean, be, <laughs> yeah. be five, 10% yeah. below FTP and you'd be surprised how much longer you can stretch and how much less it hurts you. Yeah. It really does make a huge difference. A small, just not crossing that line and just mm-hmm. kind of bouncing below rather than bouncing above. Is, yeah, it gets it, it really costly difference. and really detrimental in terms of repeat performance. Mm-hmm. All the time trialists and uh, triathletes. Yeah. If you, because you want to kick it like you know, the hill kicks up and you want to like get on a saddle and do yeah, that yeah. like mm-hmm. 10 seconds. We see it on the tour, yeah. right? Yeah. But to get back on top of that, you have to <laughs> yeah. back off so far and people mm-hmm. don't want to do it. So what do they do? But put them in, put themselves in this position where they just mm-hmm. run themselves into the ground. And road racing is different because you're, you're mm-hmm. racing against other people, you're hurting other people. But if you're just trying to get up as fast as possible, it's better not to, uh, especially in an Ironman or yeah. a triathlon, oh, to yeah. go above. Uh, there could be sh- cases where you're doing a short hill climb TT yeah, or if it, going it's above is particularly okay. punchy, something like that. You want to maintain some momentum and you can do it at the cost, you know, or the cost isn't too great. Mm-hmm. Chad, what's going on, I guess, on the fatigue side of things, like the, yeah, so I guess talking about what happens when a rider does this very thing. As, as VJ suggested, maybe it is an energy depletion issue. Maybe mm-hmm. you've actually just run the muscles dry. You're, you're out of energy and, and you're replenishing at a rate that's not uh, accounting or not allowing you to, to perform at the rate you're trying to, to stay at. Mm-hmm. Um, or there might just be central fatigue and basically um, <laughs> fatigue on a, on a, I won't say a realer level, but a different level where your brain just recognizes this is, this is unsafe territory. I'm simply going to reduce neural recruitment. You can't have as much contributing muscle fiber. That's yes. effectively what's going on. So, and that would be more of a, you've just exceeded your boundaries too far too often. Mm-hmm. I, and, and think about this. If you're listening right now, don't close your eyes cause you're driving or something, but think about this. <laughs> if you have done a 30 minute FTP effort that took a lot out of you psychologically, mm. just to be able to ride at that level, yeah. you know, you go through a whole lot of bargaining and, and, and the, convincing the cognitive them. load is yes. pretty high. And it's, I find it's really tough thereafter really to get threshold. ready to do that again. Yeah. You know what I mean? And to be able to do that a lot of the time, I feel like the brain gives up before the body, you know? Um, in, in those sort of scenarios. So, and, and it's not that the just gives up, you fatigued it to the point where it's, it's, you know, it may be at capacity and it may not be able to do mm-hmm. such a thing again. Yeah. Body's really good at protecting itself or the brain's really good at protecting the body, I should say. Yeah. Now, one thing of course, that you can look at with this, you can look at it two ways. Um, either you paced, uh, ineffectively, if you have a, a long ride and you have that, that effort in the middle that, you know, it's going to take it out of you. You have to pace things differently. If you want to be sprightly at the end. 
or on the other side of things, you can look at it as, well, your threshold's not high enough, right? For the, basically the checks you're trying to cash, right? Or just a little too much. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you know, and we, we, t we talk about this all the time, you know, a higher threshold is like the solution for basically every problem, like raise your threshold and every effort is a lower yeah, percent never, relative never percentage. Never hurts. Right? Never hurts to have a bigger FTP. Yeah. And the interesting thing about this case is the more threshold work he does, he's going to get better at this specific type of effort that, that he's facing. And then he's also going to be raising his FTP or his ability to sustain power, at least at that level mm -hmm. uh, for an extended period of time. Yeah, so really, know? BJ, it comes down to pacing in this case. I mean, your, your capabilities are what they are, and you're working at too high a percentage of them. Yep. 100%. Simon's question. Uh, this one's a, a long one, but we're going to go into things and take it one by one. He says, hey, guys, sitting here the day after my first half Ironman. That makes me nervous knowing that we have one in the future, which is 2022 <clears throat> so people. far in the future. Uh, we've, <laughs> I've gotten people seriously. jumping onto my Instagram and sending me messages and like saying like, good luck this year, that sort of stuff. It, uh, I'm, oh yeah. Let's be clear. Yeah. <laughs> this is three years out. <laughs> We're Chad and I are, are excited for that. We're hoping that a meteor comes, something like that happens in between that space of time. <laughs> Banking on it. <laughs> <laughs> so then, you know, we might not have to do it, but uh, he says it was an interesting learning experience for some background. I'm 47. I've been doing triathlons for for five years after a mostly sedentary life. I was never into sport as a kid, but have been trying to make up for it recently. My swim went okay, although the second half was better than the first. Even though I spent 10 minutes warming up before getting in the water, and he says dynamic stretching, mobilization, short sprints to raise his heart rate, etc. Now he says before he went into the water, and Nate, we're going to get into that in a bit, but that's a, an important detail. And he says another six to eight minutes warming up in the water, short sprint efforts again. I felt like I couldn't properly, properly relax in the swim for at least 20 minutes. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had to keep switching from front crawl to breaststroke in order to keep to get enough breath. Halfway through, I had calmed down, warmed up, and the rest of the swim actually felt pretty easy. So question one, I realized that getting warmed up for exercise is partly a function of age. In other words, what he's referring to there is that usually it's, it's, it's cited that people that are older need more time to warm up. Yeah, that's what they say. I, I don't like, it's hard to substantiate that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can re relate to it, but I'm not entirely sure. That there's hard there's data behind it. There's a lot of science it. behind that. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't found anything. So if anyone out there has, please uh, turn me on to it. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, uh, those that are listening to this, we've all felt that to one degree or another. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, anecdotally, for yep. sure. But scientifically, I don't know. So he says, is there anything I can do at the start of a triathlon to get myself ready to race? Is there any way of knowing if I'm properly warmed up? So one thing I want to touch on, he talked about warming up before he got in the water and with sprints. Is that common that people run at triathlons? Beforehand? Yeah, sometimes people will go in reverse order. Yeah, so they'll that. do like two. Uh, Chris uh, McCormick uh, used to McCormack Macca. Macca, used Macca. to do this two mile run. Then he'd ride his bike and then he would swim. So he'd do it in reverse order before um, an Ironman. Uh, I believe too a little bit before an Ironman, but definitely before <laughs> a sprint too. <laughs> yeah. And some of the runs can, sometimes can help the bowels start going yeah. early in the morning. But Simon, okay, like I think you are completely warmed up. Think of this: Can you get into the pool swim and swim twenty minutes without being gassed? Because that's what you're saying the first twenty minutes, like you couldn't relax. Mm -hmm. I think this is total a mental thing and a pacing thing yeah. um, because I, I bet you money, Simon, you did a pretty thorough warm up, and then you start try to swim for 20 minutes easy in the pool. I bet you can do it. Yep. Um, Even you, at like the sustainable pace that you anticipate being able to hold for that. Yeah, event. exactly. Yeah. Yep. And if you can't do that in the pool, that's what I recommend. Change your warm up So until you figure out like in the pool, like, oh yeah, this is a good warm up for this kind of pace that I want to be able to do. Or change your pacing strategy. Exactly. Yep. Or maybe the pace is just too high. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, what the hard part is, is there's in the water, it is so hard to tell 
your pace yeah. and your effort early in a triathlon because there's probably no time in a triathlon where you are so excited. It is weird being, especially with dark water, you're facing the water, people kicking you, everything's around, the Sounds race awful. has started. Uh, you guys, <laughs> just, just terrifying. I know. I know. I'm, this is, uh, everyone listening, these are slight psychological tactics over the next, until 2022 to I get inside these doing. guys' heads. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you thought Cape Epic was going to be big. <laughs> uh, oh, Cape Epic's 2021. Yeah. The, uh, anyway, so, what you have to do is just, especially if you're having the situation where you feel anxious on the swim, you're going out too hard, like you can't relax, you're going too hard. Don't worry about anyone's feet. Don't worry about drafting. Give everyone 15 seconds. It most likely mm -hmm. won't impact your race, especially for a half Ironman. Mm -hmm. Please, like you do hmm. six hours, six hours and 15 minutes, no difference. Um, right. Yeah. Give that time, let everyone go out, and then start and start as easy as possible. And it's going to feel ridiculously easy. Yes. And then do a slow ramp. Like, say, say to the first buoy, I am going to uh, not breathe, you know, breathe every third stroke or breathe every fourth stroke. And that forces it's your pace to, to be lower. Yeah. Exactly, yep. And, Got it. And do that until you get better at this uh, where you can um, – you can pace yourself well at the beginning without like going too high and getting panicked because that's that's the worst. That makes you not want to do the swim, and it totally impacts your bike. Yeah. I've I've done this. You swim way too hard. You get on the bike and you're doing literally forty watts less than you could yes. um, without this. It's like overall exhaustion. I mean, it's yeah, your whole body's tired getting onto a bike, especially yep. swimming, knowing you still have to run. Um, and it's something it's something to to be said here, and I'm sure a lot of people are, are recognizing this, or at least you've all felt this at the start of any race whatever your pace is that you could probably hold is going to feel way too easy. And it's, yeah, or, you know, like any race that you <laughs> do, you always go too hard. Like mountain bike racing is famous for it. Cyclocross racing is an absolute necessity. A lot of time criterium racing. But the yeah. fact is even in long races, everybody starts too hard. You That's do this marathons. You do this yeah. in a TT. Yes. Just this year. Yes. Like, I looked at his power and we talk about it all the time. I know. And Jonathan's like, yeah, I can hold 400 watts. I was like, for, man, uh, 400 feels great today. Yeah, maybe my I'm power just, meter's broken. Maybe I've just turned over a new leaf. <laughs> I'm a new athlete, right? Mm. And you're never a new athlete one day to the next. Uh, you always have to know where your limits are and stay within them. And it's you can't trust feel in those moments. That's why it's a, that's yeah, yes. a really cool idea know. of like, you know, spacing breath, something yeah, exactly. like that. Because if you just go off feel... And especially with the swim, because then, like you mentioned, all the other factors that, that raise arousal yeah. even more, you know? Yeah, when you're running, you can look down at your watch, you're like, whoa, I'm running six-minute miles. Yeah. Uh, and you got you slow down to 8.30 mm -hmm. or something. It's happened to probably everyone who's ran a running race where you, the first quarter mile, you're like, whoa, how is, how is everyone running like yeah. this fast? Yeah. Like, yes. we're all not going to run this fast. And don't worry about that. When everyone goes away, like you said that, yeah. but with every race, so when somebody runs off like that, you have to tell yourself, no, nah, I know what's and, sustainable. And yeah. with triathlon, the hard part is in forums, people talk all about, you got to draft on the swim. You got to draft on the swim, which one can be dangerous because you're not sure that person is actually like going straight. Um, but, uh, and they have to be the exact right Speed, pace for you yeah. because they can still, they can go so much faster than you that even in a draft, you're above your limits. Mm -hmm. um, I think until you're getting really to the pointy end of the race where you really have to be with a certain pack or you're at one of these bigger races where like... Cone is a good example where kind of everyone on the swim is pretty close, at least at the, like in your age group, everyone does within a couple minutes and there's a giant pack. Mm. You guys have seen it, right? Oh yeah. And if you're in that giant pack, it is a lot easier and you do accelerate a little bit earlier, but these are like world champs, right? Yeah. Uh, when you're doing, when you're 47 and you've just been doing it for a little bit and, uh, just let it go swim by yourself. 
Yeah. Have a great day. So mm-hmm. on the warm-up side of things, Chad, uh, maybe we've talked about this before on previous episodes yeah. and so, to some degree, but maybe just like a quick refresher on what actually happens to your body when you do warm yeah. up. Lar- largely, it's it's about warming the muscle and warming the blood. I mean, so, that's that's huh. that's largely it. I mean, there might be a neuromuscular component if you know you're, if you're doing a really short event, if it's going to open with a really hard effort, I can see doing some eight to 10 second sprints mm-hmm. where you recover well in between, maybe do two, just a very small handful of those, two or three of those. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's just about getting on, in, in, let's use the bike, getting on the bike and spinning at, at a low level and raising that level over the course of the warm up. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think people overthink and vastly prolong their warmups. They're yes. doing way too much work prior to a race. I mean, if you're warming up for more than 30 minutes, way too much. If you're warming up more than 20 minutes, probably too much. Yep. 20 minutes, get on there, start at a low pace, gradually bring it up. Everything you need to achieve with a warmup is probably accomplished with something as simple as that. So what happens when you warm up the blood like or in the muscle? Like what's the, what's, what are the mechanical things that happen? Basically it's oxygen results? transport. So, so that whole uh, oxygen hemoglobin dissociation curve certain things change how how hard your blood holds on to oxygen or the hemoglobin holds on to oxygen a lot of things alter that one of them is temperature so as you raise your temperature we talked about the q10 effect last Uh week as you raise your temperature there's a big change in how rapidly or readily the hemoglobin or your blood to be less specific lets go of the oxygen so that your muscles can use it to fuel fuel work i mean it doesn't pick it up as strongly as well but we're still we come so much more oxygen gets returned and doesn't get used anyway. We don't mm-hmm. need all of it that, that's coming in. So the, the fact is, <laughs> the fact is, you just need to just need to warm up in a general sense. Yes. Don't overthink it, and definitely don't overdo it. So many people spend so much of what they could use in their race by doing a prolonged, protracted, excessive warm up. I used to be. I used to go way too deep into warm ups, and and, and that was, that's what people told you. I mean, yes. you see the pro riders who warm up for an hour for uh-huh. an hour long criterium or mm-hmm. ninety minute criterium. The yeah, hours are like. 2030. They can tolerate it better yeah. for sure. So it's easy for them to lose sight of what's actually happening, that they're probably just hemorrhaging yeah, energy, energy that could be better channeled. Yeah. My warm ups now take 20 minutes. So it's that's I, all I do anymore. And yep. I'm not, I know I'm not the best example because I'm not riding a lot right now, but toward, toward the end of last season and, and most of that season, that's all I was doing with general 20 minute warm ups. And even at district time trial or 40K TT, where I was in good enough shape to where it would have mattered. Mm-hmm. All I did was a 20 minute general warm up. I spin at, I start in between 60 and 70% FTP for 10 minutes and I just stay within there. Mm-hmm. And for those that are, don't have that point of reference, that's pretty, I mean, it's not like you're just soft pedaling, but it's also not like you're putting anything really tough into the pedals. I'm at not all. entirely sure why you would need to go above your intended race pace. Yep. So for a 40 K TT, if you know, you're going to ride at this wattage or at this speed, go out and do that. By the end yeah. of your warm up, you you should have achieved that for a few minutes. Yep. I spin like that for 10 minutes. And then after that, every minute I step it up until, uh, I step it up. Usually it's like 20 Watts roughly with my threshold that works out. I step it up 20 Watts until I get to my threshold. And in most cases, all of my races are, they require intensities over threshold for repeated, uh, bouts, that mm-hmm. sort of a thing. So then at that point I go over my threshold for a minute. And then after that, I finish it with a quick 15 yeah. second little sprint. And there's something to be and said with, with the subjectivity of this too, in terms of how it benefits you psychologically. If there's yes. something you do that's a, that's a small modification, like what you're describing right here, that gets you in the right headspace, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't think it needs to be longer than 20 minutes, 30 minutes at the very, very high end. Yeah. It ends up being 20 minutes for me. And that includes like five minutes of spinning down. Right. And that, that gets me to where I need to be. And the big thing, like you said, for me is psychologically speaking, I find that 
anytime I get back on my bike, RPE is off. Right. And I'm like, uh, the two or the threshold feels really hard right now. When I first do it at the first point, first time of the day. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, but once I get a, you know, a minute, a couple minutes into that, then I'm like, oh, okay, it's not that bad. Never mind. You know, yeah. I can do it. And that right there's a, a strong selling point for it. Definitely doing a warm up mm-hmm. rather than just showing up cold. Although I've seen plenty of racers show up cold and have <laughs> very good races. Yeah. What about for, uh, Road races. So I'm I'm about to do an 86 mile road race in the heat. I would never warm up for something like that. First off, the temperature Mm -hmm. is a big concern. Secondly, why do you need to be particularly warm for the opening 20 miles of an 80 mile race? That's probably going to see a whole lot of Mm -hmm. nothing. Chances are it's going to roll out pretty easy, relatively speaking, especially with that heat. Well, it starts at 8 a.m., so it's going to get hotter. Okay. In the morning, it it'll, it'll probably be okay. But if you want to be part of the early break, I could see doing a 10 or 20 minute warm up. 70 mile break. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> 80 mile break. It works. Yeah. It can work. Yeah. It but, really uh, comes That'd like be the only said. reason I'd, I'd, I'd even warm up for something like that is if I were going to be or intended to be in the early break. Comes down to how you plan to race it as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but chances are that's not going to be the case. I am not going to warm up at Leadville. So, <laughs> yeah. There's no point. <laughs> Do people no. warm up at Leadville? Oh, yeah. Uh, Saw it last oh. year. Yeah, people. Oh, there was yeah, a guy on rollers last mm-hmm. year. I remember yeah. that. Mm-hmm. He was planning that. on lighting it up mile one. Yeah, so. <laughs> especially well, Leadville too. Like <laughs> your, <laughs> your pace. No, like this is a good point because your pace at Leadville is probably going to be your warm up pace or less. Yeah. Yes, you know what I mean. So there's yeah. no real point. There's no point. There's, yeah, that you're again, not going to be accomplishing just, anything. Yeah, what's your working based on bad past information? What's your power target for the flats? Uh, power target for the flats is 200 and like, two, well, I gave myself a window 220 to 230. Really? Yeah. That high? Yeah. That's too high. You think so? I think Maybe. I don't know. You're, Maybe you're, not. You're no, no, you're right. No. Cause yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking some, yeah. yeah I, I'm I think thinking it's my normalized power for the whole race. Oh yeah. No, it'll be lower. My normalized power is going to be like 180 probably. And what's your climbing power? Uh, climbing power is going to be around 240. Somewhere around there. Okay, so maybe, yeah, 240. I would maybe 210, 200 on flats. But anyways, that's probably where you're warming up anyways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah, that's a good example there. So along those lines with pacing, he says, I had used Best Bike Split to figure out my ideal normalized power for the bike leg, but given I hadn't done an FTP test for several months, I decided to push it a little harder. (laughs) Hey, you know, why not? When in doubt, go harder, right? Always, always works out. He says, it felt great, and I averaged just shy of 32 kilometers an hour. Uh, he says that I got a 90 minute peak power for the race and getting off the bike was fine. But within two minutes of the run, I had crippling cramps in my quads. He says I had taken a lot of precautions to avoid cramp, drinking electrolytes for two days beforehand, lots of sodium electrolytes on the bike, etc. Once again, it's cramps. Don't just come down to sodium. Don't just come down to those sort of things. It's a combination of many things. And if you've overworked your muscles, uh, or done too much work than for what they can handle, then exactly right. And that's the limiting factor. Uh, he says, unfortunately, I just couldn't shake the cramp and had to run walk the whole 21 kilometers. It was mentally and emotionally tough to not be able to run after or properly after all these months of training. So his question too, do you think the cramp was because I pushed too hard on the bike? I, I emphatically, <laughs> I just wrote down yes in capital letters in, all caps, in red. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Blue, yeah. Uh, so Simon, um, I fall in this trap before I think probably all triathletes with a power meter and do athletes. Yeah. I've you, done the same thing. You do this and, and all marathon people, you're like, okay, here's what I've done. And I did, I did like a 90 minute ride at this average pace, but I'm going to have a taper. And I'm going to be carb loaded. Let's just add a couple more watts on that. Some more training. I haven't tested recently, so let's add a couple more watts. Yeah, and you I'm start off. Fitter. You yeah, start off yeah. the first That's hour. What we do feels pretty easy. 
right? Yeah. And then you go through it. Um, pretty much, this is like the best advice. All of our Kona qualifiers, they're all like, man, you got to get to that half, the second half of the marathon ready to race. Mm. Yep. Right? That's what they were all mm-hmm. saying. And, and uh, I think same with the, the half, at least get to the to the like 10 K to go or the, the run ready to race. Um, I think that Simon, like for triathlon, because you have to run after all this stuff. So even with the taper, you should be able to, so with the taper, you will be more fit, but you should be able to do all of your wattages in training. Yes. Right. And even if, so they're, maybe they're hard in training. You're like, okay, but with the taper, I'll, I'll be a little bit better. Um, and that's like the margin, but if you can't do the wattage in training, don't give yourself that excuse of, well, I'm in this big block and I'm tired because, uh, you have to run afterwards later. So if you're doing a three hour half Ironman, try to do a three hour bike ride at that wattage. And before you, before you give yourself some, um, a higher target on the pacing side, Nate, how, because we're going to do a sprint Olympic, a half and a full, uh, unless a meteor hits the earth (laughs) banking on it. Uh, how do you pace those? Like, cause I, I've heard, <laughs> thank you, Nate. Yeah. Very yeah. carefully is the answer. Um, uh, but how do you pace those relatively speaking, like a sprint in Olympic Olympics, 40 K that's pretty hard, but do you go all out in a sprint in an Olympic in terms of your bike pace? Yeah. Sprints sprint are like, it's going to be all out, but it's going to be less than your, um, so, you know, you, it's 30 to 45 minutes or something if you're really, really fast mm-hmm. and it's going to be less than your FTP just because you just swam. Yeah. Um, but it's going to feel to you like all out, like the whole time you're in that V3 or you're breathing extremely hard. Yeah. Um, and then the 5k you're breathing extremely hard and you're totally gassed Olympic too. Um, you're pacing like a 40 K, but it's not going to, you can't do the same power cause you did the swim, but also it's going to be all out, maybe 98% effort. <sighs> but then when you get into the half, when you start That's the hard. half bike, yeah, starts, feels pretty easy. And for the first, like um, big part of it, you're like, wow, this is really easy and people will pass you and then you'll pass them back later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Iron Man, the same. Even Iron more Man so. Just, even more so. And you just want to make sure you don't get those like those popped efforts where you go above threshold um, climbs stuff. You have the right mm. carrying. Yeah. Um, yeah. You stay relaxed because there's a whole bunch of over 112 miles. You can tighten up. Chad does this all the time, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And your neck starts to hurt and everything. Like, yeah. I think to me, the hardest part of an Iron Man bike is the uncomfortableness. And that probably says a lot about my body and my position. position. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've the only, saddle sore, the neck, the shoulders. I did 72 miles on my TT bike and I did not stay in position that whole time. And it was long, <laughs> like yeah. it was hard, but you can get into a, a, a race position. A lot of people talk about <laughs> it crazy. where they're comfortable. Yeah. just like, you're kind of on a couch and even more comfortable than a road bike. Yep. Um, and, and then it's fun. Definitely different than my 40 K position. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I would take an arrow penalty for that to achieve that. Oh yeah. You have comfort. to. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It, you will, you will be a faster triathlete. Sure. Um, because mm-hmm. What happens, this is the other part that triathletes do. You're like, I can take away one spacer. No big deal. <laughs> and then what yeah. happens is you start sitting up the whole time and you're all that little, like Ryan from Best Bikes, but told us, Ryan Cooper, like sitting up just for a few seconds, like erases all of that work you did yeah. with the one spacer. Not uh, only that, something really interesting that he shared with us too, is that like, let's say you're in a position where your head, it's really tough to keep your head there mm-hmm. where it needs to be. And it. you move that head. What you do is you actually break the flow the pattern of flow of air going over you and yeah, yeah. I think that was, no, no, the, no. Is, the, is, the is the tires shake vibration. Or, yeah. The vibration yeah. going fast. Yeah. But it breaks that, that relationship of flow that's going over you. And then at that point it takes time for it to establish. And in some cases you said it doesn't reestablish. That uh, doesn't apply to helmets so. too. 
Hysteresis? No, no, yeah, no. a different thing. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, but it's interesting to, to think of it in that respect. So like you said, you make a positioning change that might make you a bit faster, but even doing something as little as just like moving your head up, that may get rid of any benefit that you would have gotten to make you slower. The same thing happens, this pace thing with like all run, pretty much all of us, right? Yeah. Where you're like, okay, I've never done FTP for more than... 10 minutes, but this 40K TT, I'm going to go at that <laughs> FTP. Yeah. I'll just go gut It'll it out. It'll work out. <laughs> the running race, oh yeah, I've never done 15 miles at this pace, but the marathon, sure, no problem. Yeah, exactly. And then you, at mile 20, they hit a wall and they're like, I just didn't have enough salt. Yeah. That was my issue. <laughs> yeah. Right? right yeah, I cramped, yeah. I just didn't need enough yeah. electrolytes. Yeah. And I, I, I have done this more times than I can think We've of. We've all done it in one regard. You want to tweak out all the performance you can. Uh-huh. Um, or if you really just race 2% below, yes, you would have, you, you might even, you would race faster. Yeah. Totally, yeah. You can always kick it up in the la- at the end. Oh that's, yeah. That's the other thing. It's better to be a little bit conservative to start and then race the latter half of anything really because yep. you can. Yeah, those Kona qualifiers had good advice on that for sure. And we're gonna be interviewing more of you Kona qualifiers this year at Kona. Uh, we'll, so if uh, we aren't gonna, actually you can go ahead and send them in and I'll bookmark them. If you want to, you can shoot me an email at jonathan at trainerroad.com if you wanna be interviewed. And last year we got very few females that, that sent in emails and we'd love to interview yeah. more females. Um, because when you go to, to, especially like triathlon is so different than road cycling or mountain biking or anything like that in, in that respect. We have so many more female competitors. So. And uh, you, so uh, people said, well, I didn't think I have anything to offer. Like oh, you, you have all time. have stuff to oh, offer. Absolutely. So don't think like, yep. um, and even so you don't think of like uh, some of the guys we were like, interviewed like okay i have 800 milligrams of potassium leaving me at every hour and then i do this or no no like potassium like like, you know like down to like broken down very very small uh uh like breaking everything down so just because you don't do that doesn't mean we can't learn something from you oh yeah the fact is you're a kona you got there somehow i mean even if you got there on a lottery you probably have a story Oh yeah, a hundred percent, and it's something that we can all learn from. So, if you did qualify or you, you're going to qualify for Kona, let us know. Uh, it'd be awesome to interview you. Uh, it'd be a lot of fun. So, and you'll get to meet a lot of the Trainer Road crew this year because we are bringing more than just Chad, Nate, and I. Same house too. <laughs> Chad's excited about that. Um, but yeah, you can uh, you can come and meet the re- uh, the rest of the crew. Uh, we're having like a, a, one of our departments is Not actually the rest coming. Of the crew, but Not the we're, we're having team. the design crew come to get a better uh, end product a better understanding of triathlon exactly to build right. better products so and we just fun. we made the decision kind of late so we are all staying in a three-bedroom house and oh, it's yes. going to be a little tight but yeah. we're cooking some group meals and be it's great. better than uh flying them all to reno so it's, it's actually going to be cheaper than flying to reno crazy. because we're saving on the uh the <laughs> uh the, the hotels yeah, yeah. Costs. crazy yeah. uh and then the whole for everyone, the whole yeah, besides point, you, Chad. And I think that this fine. is going to be, be a, yeah, this is going to be a cool experience to like, we, we're always trying to, to get more inside the minds of, of, of you all listening to this and understand. So that's part of the process. His third question. He says, I was worried about doing a ramp test too close to my race. In hindsight, should I have given up a day's training to <clears> test <throat> my FTP? If so, when is a good time to retest and what, if any training benefit is there from doing the test? So I wouldn't worry about doing a test beforehand. That said, if you're trying to build a pacing profile and it's off of an FTP that is inaccurate, your pacing well, will it, be inaccurate. I would just you, you temporarily have to throw FTP out the window because if you don't know what it is, you obviously can't base on it. And if you go do an FTP test and now you know your FTP, but you don't know the percentage of FTP you can sustain for yes. a five-hour bike. Exactly. That's, that's highly trainable. So that's why mm-hmm. like in our plans are progressive and they get you like – 
working more and more for longer periods of time as that percent. Mm -hmm. So just because you can, like everything isn't tied down to FTP. That's all of our plans are progressive depending on what kind of race you are. Mm -hmm. um, trying to build whatever those energy systems are. And as you get further totally. to the plan, you get better at those uh, at those progressions. So, yeah. yeah, don't don't do that. Just what what you can do in training. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. How close to your your event that that test is going to be a waste of time. I think too yeah. the best thing is if you can do this on. Uh, you can do these wattages on the trainer because yep. when you're no break, yeah, no break. Cause when you're in locally, uh, it's hard to get stuff where there's no breaks. Yeah. When, when you're in, riding out on the road. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in a half or an Ironman, there Near are impossible. like all the stoplights are closed and stuff. And a lot of these will be flatter than your local terrain. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you, you don't get any break and that really takes a toll on the muscles. Oh yeah. You, use the trainer for, for it's such, it's so helpful for that very and thing. And you get your nutrition just dialed. Yes, uh, it's really, it's really transferable. Yeah, oh, yeah, it really is. Kate's question. Uh, since starting cycling, I've been particularly drawn to endurance events. Recently, I have participated in my first double century event. That's gnarly. Mm. It was spectacular, but so uncomfortable. That's also expected. <laughs> she says, my question is, how do you address some of these aches and pains you experienced during these longer events? During the events and now recovering, I'm suffering from a lot of shoulder pain and muscle spasms. And she asks, is it okay to apply lidocaine patches to your neck during events? Take ibuprofen or acetaminophen during these events as well. Or am I experiencing these aches and pains because I've taken on a little bit too much too soon in my riding career? Am I not preparing in terms of strength conditioning enough? So these are all great guesses um, that mm -hmm. she's throwing out here. And she says the, the bike, she says, is the result of a bike fit. So I'm pretty sure it isn't the, and she says in quotes, fit of the bike, looking for a little relief and a little guidance. Um, so I don't know if you guys know, but, uh, I actually rode over 200 miles once I no, Everested. Really? Yep. Yeah. I uh, Everested. I should let you guys know all about it. That was 200 miles. Yeah. 224 actually. Oh. It was well, too long, <laughs> but it's, it, this is. I don't know anybody that finishes 200 miles and is comfortable. Your Strava looks cool though, because your longest ride is 224 miles and your biggest <laughs> climb is like 14,000 feet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't oh, think yeah. there's many people in the world that have better. And I got not. sweet Strava stats. That's going to garner me nothing and for the rest but, of your life. Though, when <laughs> everyone <laughs> like, compares <laughs> yeah, themselves exactly. to you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like, whoa. Yeah. Mount Akea and Everesting, those two things. But yeah. your Everesting was like on a weird way. So you got way more mileage than normal. Oh yeah. 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 We did not repeat it. Uh, we did not repeat a climb. We covered every possible road we could <clears> in the San Gabriel. So fun with the due North crew. So, uh, but it's, it's uncomfortable. There's no way around the fact that you sitting on a bike for 200 miles yeah, is going to be that's comfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's just kind of how it goes. Um, and you've, you've dealt with plenty of folks that have done these sort of events, Chad, like mm -hmm. a big, long double century focused riders Yeah, yeah. and they and all, I, they all face this sort of stuff, right? Totally. And, and a <clears throat> caution against using things like lidocaine patches and ibuprofen and acetaminophen on a regular basis. But in the short term, you know, if you're just in a bad place and putting a lidocaine patch on the back of your neck is going to make the last 60 miles of a 200 mile ride more tolerable all for it but do recognize there's a reason that crept in. It could be just holding that position for a long period of time. And it's going to happen regardless. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that happens persistently, if it happens on shorter rides and you're still addressing it with lidocaine patches or ibuprofen, acetaminophen, um, that, that's, that's where I'd recommend caution. Yeah. Those are banding. Yeah. The, and yeah, the pain and is a good signal. Place. Pain's a good signal that something's going on. And if you cover it with band-aids, you're probably going to miss that. And it's really going to show up mm -hmm. on, on your big day. I, You've uh, experienced this recently. Nate. I stopped weightlifting for, that big Patterson Pass road race that I was going to do last weekend. Uh, you really got all your ducks in a row. And I did lose. I, I lost. Uh, I stopped taking creatine. I went from like 196 down to 188. I was like, sweet. I'm going to 
Yeah. I'm gonna kill it. And then I, of course, listen back, the skewer thing. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I, I went and did a ride here, the, a loop that I do a lot of times, and I had back pain, I had neck pain, I had mm-hmm. arm pain. Uh, it was crazy. Because uh, you had stopped strength training? Yeah, exactly. And mm. I wasn't even doing much strength training, but just a little bit, like, for me, it helps off. My body wants to be weak and uh, it's, feeble. In many cases, in, in, to, to some degree, it is relative, right, in terms of what you're going to experience. You're going to experience more discomfort that's if you're... That's your less. homeostatic state, being frail. <laughs> yeah, I'm a... <laughs> That's what he's saying. Chad, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it wants me to be... Chad's uh, over here being Jack. Software engineer or... Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Uh, marching band. Not to, right. that's, what I, that's what I did. I'm not making fun of all the software right. engineers, but that's what I... That's my most time spent was one of those two things. Right. She, w- one thing I want to address real quick. She asked if it's kosher was her word. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you mean kosher in terms of legal, because yeah, this stuff's legal. I mean, in a job of century, I'm pretty sure anything's legal. <laughs> Even, no rules, no yeah. mercy. <laughs> but I'm saying you can get away with it. You're not doing anything wrong. I don't think you're not breaking any rules. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. it's, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess like the other, uh, you asked the question too much too soon. That's very possible too. I mean, Could be. uh, for the sort of rider that it takes in some cases, some athletes can just jump in and they can do a ton, right? It's always too much <clears throat> double century. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Right? <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, but you look at a guy like, like Lachlan Morton, for example, and he did that GB Duro where he rode from the southernmost to the northernmost point of Great Britain. And he did it in a short amount of time, relatively mm-hmm. speaking, like he's probably ticking off like 300 miles a day or yeah. more. Yeah. Um, crazy, crazy, right? Um, he doesn't look like some huge, strong, big buff guy, but I know that he has the strength that he needs to be able to ride the bike like he does. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and actually uh, producer Tucker is going to put that video up there of, uh, it's from EF education first and it's of Lachlan Morton's ride. It's really good. I would check that out. It's pretty insightful. Cool is video. Is he doing Leadville? I wonder, I, I would hope I, so. I, I think, he, think is. he is. I think so. Yeah. And I think Alex Howes might be doing it. Uh, it should it's be a big a, year. Yeah. It should be a fast year. Maybe I'll, sw- no, I'm going to still do my race. But, <laughs> yeah. Fast year. Cause you're there. Yeah. You'd be with those guys. Oh, come on. Trading no off. Way. No way. No way. They'll be gone as soon as the gun goes off. So, um, but yeah, anyways, I, uh, on the lines of doing a double century, I really do think that strength training for that sort of stuff. I know that you probably think. I'm not like a cyclocross athlete, like we were talking earlier, pressing hard on the pedals. Mm -hmm. And so many times we associate that with the need for strength training, but we're talking about holding a position for an extended period of time. And you know, you can move around working while working, doing a fair amount of work for however long it takes you. I don't care if you do it in eight hours or 18, that's, that's a long time to stay in a particular position. And we've talked about just like with, uh, ultra durance triathlon, you have to be durable, durable, durable over fitness on, honestly. I think, yeah. I mean, the two go hand in hand, but I, I would concern myself a little bit less with doing a long ride and a little bit more with getting strong in the gym. Yes. Yeah. I completely agree. Putting out power when you're uncomfortable is so hard. Oh, the mental load. Magnifies. It's the yeah. smallest little discomfort yeah. and it makes a huge difference it, in your output. Here's you like a, a saddle sore can totally take away from your FTP. It's not physically taking away from your FTP, mm-hmm. but mentally being able to ride at FTP drain. is mm-hmm. so hard with yeah. just a saddle sore. So oh, think yeah. about it though, when your whole back, just con- con- uncomfortable shoes. Monica, when we did it, by the time I finally got even close to the radio or the observatory, yeah, 
Observatory? No, the visitor center. <laughs> I didn't make it that far <laughs> Big because yeah. my back pain by, oh, that, yeah. by that point was unruly. I couldn't do anything. I was so bloated. I just couldn't it tolerate it longer. From eating the Maui chips. <laughs> it was like it's hard sitting in the you. car. I know. When it's I got tough. out of the car, it was, it was like, tough. man. It was a big bag of chips. And I should have trained for this. <laughs> <laughs> just going from nothing to a bag of chips is like family size. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hard day for me. My day. right hand lifting <laughs> those chips. Oh, gosh. <laughs> hard day for me. Real hard day. Yep. Uh, next one uh, from RJ. He says, I need help minimizing and eliminating high speed wobble when descending. Uh, he says, I had two incidents yesterday at the Patterson Pass road race. Oh, <laughs> Nate's so glad he isn't there. <laughs> he was in my field. This could have taken me down. Yes. Maybe it was a sign. And maybe it was a sign. Yep. He says, uh, pretty much scared the, you know, what out of me. I'm six foot three inches and 220 pounds. So not a small rider, uh, relatively speaking with cyclists. Right. And bought my 2019, uh, propel advanced disc. That's a giant propel advanced disc. So I could run 28s and slow down better than my 2014 propel advanced rim brake version. So it's all smart choices. I think mm-hmm. it says the 2014 wobbled like crazy when descending. And I actually, and I actually couldn't stop the wobble coming down Centerville descent and crashed. Yikes. Oh. Scary. He says, I thought 28s and discs would make the difference, but nope. And we'll get into kind of the reasons why speed wobble happens in a bit. <clears throat> says, I was talking to a rider after the sea otter circuit race, asked him how he descended so fast. And he said he put as much weight over the front wheel and to find a bike that has less of a propensity to wobble. So at Patterson pass, I pretty much put my chin on the stem on the descents helped a little, but still pretty two wild wobbles stopped both by feathering the brakes and squeezing the top tube with my knees. We'll get into that too. He says, don't know if it's my bike, my size, my skill, or all of the above. I really don't want to give up any more skin to the asphalt. Would appreciate any advice. This is crazy. This should not happen. This should not happen. Should never happen. Plus this happens with two bikes in a row. Yes. Two different bikes too. Separated by six years of technology. Same Uh, model, but different. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Very different bikes though. Um, I have an an idea that we haven't talked about. You guys talk about stuff in a minute. Okay. So first of all, the reason that uh, wobbles happen. So, oh, actually. What is a speed wobble? Yeah. So speed wobble is basically what happens when your front end or basically the front, there's enough flex in the chassis or a difference in direction with those front wheels that it basically causes your bike to swerve in one direction. And then it almost reaches like a point of resonance where it starts to magnify and it swerves from one side to the other, to the other, to the other. And it's something that it feels like you can't control. Now, a lot of this comes down to like in the motocross world, it's pretty common. They call it head shake or tank slappers. And if you look up on YouTube, you'll see that. And it's a terrifying experience. Um, but in a lot of it happens. So like the way that I used to solve it in motocross was if I had a head angle that was too upright, I would get different triple clamps that would basically change the head angle, which the head angle determines how far angled out in front of your bike, the forks are like, if you think of like a custom Harley or something where they're really far out in front of you, that's a very slack or relaxed head angle. If you think of like a traditional road bike, that's a very upright or steep head angle where the forks are pointing straighter down to the ground. And if it was straighter down to the ground, it was more common to get head shake. And the reason for that in most cases is because it was actually making the bike ride a bit like a stink bug. And contrary to the advice that you have waiting the front end, <laughs> that actually in most cases uh, can, can make it worse. Now, it can also happen the other way if the front end's too light. But that is when we're talking about motorcycles and stuff, you have power that makes the front end light. Bicycles, we don't have to worry about that. Now with a bicycle, the reason that it happens in most cases, yes, we are within the head angle range to make speed wobble happen. But the main reason that that's happening is because there's some sort of flex in the chassis or some sort of torque put on the bike that's causing that. And in, in most cases, sometimes bikes could be flexy enough to make this happen or made not straight, just genuinely like the bike isn't straight. Hmm. 
Uh, but I, I doubt that's the case, uh, especially with two bikes. Cause you've changed that variable and you're still experiencing it. And most modern bikes these days aren't going to have that unless you have like a crack in your frame or something that that could cause that. It, it's much more likely and something that I see pretty regularly is that people ride with uneven tension on their bike and it's imbalanced. And as a result, what you do, especially you'll see it, it magnified, even with top riders in the pro Peloton, when they get down into a tuck position and then they come out, you'll see them in that moment. What they do is they transfer a lot of weight onto their handlebars and a lot of pressure onto that. And they may be left hand dominant or right hand dominant. And as a result, they're pushing more on one side to the other. And when they do that, it causes their bike to start a little bit of a wobble and it's possible. You've mentioned that it happens on descents that you're getting into some sort of position. You mentioned putting your chin on the stem, something like that. You're really compromising the normal position and that could very well be it. Um, and another cause with this is putting too much tension and too much weight into those hands. I think hmm. that we do that, you know, that's a, uh, one thing that I've noticed from riding behind riders like Chad over the years is how light you are with your hands. Uh, on the road too. And mountain biking, it makes a huge difference. Lee McCormick always talks about light hands uh, and it's all riding through the legs and through the waist and everything else. So those are like the, it, in, in my opinion, that's likely what it is. It's some sort of uneven amount of pressure that's being applied to the bike. Aero road bikes, I don't know if it's fair to say this anymore, but the Propel is a design that hasn't been vastly improved over the years, but aero bikes when they first came out, they were known as being flexy in bad ways, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's why Cavendish was famous for not wanting to ride his aero bikes and throwing them against a bus, right? <laughs> and those sort of things. And Kittle, the same thing, uh, when he was racing and body slamming his bike, couldn't get it to handle because it would flex strangely underneath him. And a lot of that was because they were just making these tube shapes that were made for aerodynamics, not made to actually perform like the bike should. So, uh, you know, it could be that and, but I really do think it's probably something with, uh, uneven pressure. What are you, what are you thinking? Nate? Okay. Two thoughts, RJ, you are the, the common scenario in this. Yes. And <laughs> good point. Um, Jonathan, tell me this could be true. Could he not be aligning his stem and his front wheel straight so that if totally. it's off a little bit, this is hard to do too. Mm. If it's off a little bit and he's done this on other bikes, mm -hmm. then, then he's always riding. You kind of always are going to have to be cocked. Yes. And then you're descending and then you've got that little like shake. Very going. possible. Mm. And one, one way to actually a pro tip on making sure that it makes it super easy. Uh, a lot of the time what we do is we try to look down the center of the stem and the center of the tire. And that's always really hard. It is. Um, a much better way and shout out to, um, Sean Hughes, Yeti polar bear is what he's known as, but he's the Yeti factory team mechanic. He has the coolest way of doing it. Inst oh, I can't wait because yeah. this, yeah. this gives me anxiety yes. every time I do it. People yeah. even like made like a little like laser product to be able to do this. Oh, and, I want it, I want and, it. And the laser product, <laughs> it's, it's kind of tricky to, to, to really use, but um, Tucker is already linking to this video. I think in the forums, you can see it. Um, it's on YouTube on Yeti's channel, Tucker. You can find it on there. It's like a pro tip, but he basically, what he does is he looks at the handlebars and he moves his position fore and aft of his head so that he has a point of reference. Now on a mountain bike, you have a crown of the fork, right? So what he does is instead of looking at the tire and the stem, he looks at the, he moves his head so that the distance, the visible distance between the handlebars and the crown of the fork is minimized. So he basically can see the gap between when he's looking straight down between the handlebar and the fork, crown of the fork. Oh. And then what he does is he looks at that and he looks if it's uneven and it's really easy to see. Oh yeah. There's like just millimeters of space of yes. gap that you're trying to do. And, mm. and it makes Ooh. it so easy. 
And then that way, so the way that you would do it on a road bike is you don't have that crown, but instead what you have is your axle and you have the end of the fork. So basically position your head vertically above your handlebars so that you're looking down so that you look behind the back or the front of the handlebars and you can see the cra- the ends of the fork down at the bottom and you just want that distance to be the same. It might Amazing. be hard to make sense yeah. when you're thinking about it here, but uh, if you go to forum.trainerroad.com, episode 215, you'll see it. It's like such a good pro tip. I and it's I've used it since and it is so nice. It's I would like just perfect. Left eye, right eye it and if it lined up it seemed to work. But I like that way better. Yeah, yeah. way better. It's really the cool. left eye, right eye, I'm like, it's good. And then I'm like, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. It's good, it's not good. Yeah. Okay. So the second thing is Good point, Nate. I hadn't thought of that. I yeah. Good point. Hmm. I think I've seen this happen to someone else. Um, you don't properly tighten <clears throat> down like the your um your stem to yeah. your uh mm-hmm. steer tube. Mm-hmm. Like you might be tightening the steer tube or the your stem bolts before your like uh-huh. steer tube bolts. The, stop, the top cap bolt. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the top cap bolt is not a lot of tension on it, but it's used to compress everything. Yes. And if you have a little bit of play in there and you should be able to, you could feel it. Yeah. Um, that could also cause like introduce a, a void right yep. in the bike. And yeah, and but it's a pretty crucial deal too, because when Dave Eastwood, you said, adjust my bike in this very manner, he would pick it up and slam it down to the point where I was going to break my bike, to make sure. but he wanted to make sure there was no play. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's extremely important when you have play like that. It not only can cause like issues like this, but it can also, if you have any sort of slack, you're going to cause sudden jarring movements to your steer tube. And that is obviously they're not designed to take that sort of force. Mm-hmm. And if RJ goes, Hey, I've never touched my stem. Um, this couldn't be me. Mm-hmm. Like you're probably, if they're both giant at whatever bike shop you're going to Whoever take it. it. Well, either way, no matter, unless you figure out exactly like you, you know what the problem is, go to a different bike shop with a different mechanic, mm-hmm. because if you're not doing it and there's the same mechanic, that's the other variable you want to eliminate. Yep. Um, because maybe they're not all mechanics are made equal as yes. we, as we know, try to find the best one and say, Hey, I'm getting speed wobbles and inspect my bike. Cause there could be. Uh, hairline, I don't know how, you, maybe the way you load your bike in your car or something yeah. has caused the same kind of crack or I don't know. That's a horribly dangerous situation yeah. too. Check your wheels and make sure they're true. Well, once um, that happens, oh, yeah. you don't, it's tar- It's tough to come back from it. it I don't never, think it should happen it today. It should never happen. Should never happen. Should never yeah. happen. This isn't something that like you should overcome, like, this, yeah. like, and you should not do a single race until you can figure out, especially RJ races in Northern California. Yeah. You shouldn't do a single race until you figure out how to fix this and you can ascend yep. by yourself without speed wobbles. This yep. isn't something that like you just overcome. Could so, it be tired, tied to your muscles, to fatigued muscles? Uh, yeah. Just I get mean, a little bit of jostle in the system. and then Causing the uneven <sighs> tension. Yeah. yeah, I feel like but it's with our bikes, we could go down there and I could like shake it. Yep. And it would still just then go right if, back to a laser. If you're fatigued to the point that you just can't regain control though. I, maybe. I've never heard <laughs> of it. Even then the wobble shouldn't start, first of all, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and the thing is, once you get a speed wobble, the way to fix it. He said, you know, like, uh, pinching the top tube with your legs. I don't think that's the way to do it. Uh, in motocross, you'll hear a lot of people saying that because what you want to do is you actually want it. Most people don't grip and you really ride the bike entirely with what your legs are doing and how they're attached to the bike. You want to actually have a decent amount of bike body separation here. Your bike's doing something weird. You don't want your body to do that weird thing. Right. 
So when speed wobbles start, uh, the main thing that we usually do is we tighten everything up mm -hmm. and we adhere ourselves to the bike. And then what we do is we just create, throw more mass into it. So it ends up getting worse. And the tricky thing, and this is so hard to do is you just have to stay completely relaxed and be very light with your hands. Uh, you can't let those hands go, you know, too tight. Get your hit the rear the brake wheel. or the front brake. Don't hit the front brake because yeah. then what you're going to do is you're going to throw more weight onto that front. And it's just mm -hmm. going to cause things to be worse. Okay. So yeah, slow down with the rear. But even then, I don't know if I would really slow down. Um, it might make it worse. Uh, just, you have to ride it out sort of no. a thing. So yeah, first of all, it should not happen. Uh, that's, that's have it not happen. Yep. Absolutely. That's interesting though, because I see people when they, I've had people right next to me, get them uh -huh. and what do you do, but slow down, which means you're grabbing your front brake, which means you're putting weight on a wheel that yeah. needs to be unburdened. Yeah. You're just basically causes some sketchy stuff matter worse. Yep. Causes some scary stuff. So, and, and to give you a point of reference, RJ, I feel comfortable on my bike going downhill. And if it's just a straight, smooth road, I could be going 40, 50 miles an hour and I could take my hands off and feel fine. And because I know my bike's not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so you should not feel this end of story. End of story. <laughs> Drew, uh, this is going to be the last question. Then we're going to jump into the live questions you've submitted. You can join us on YouTube every week and it's awesome because then you can join other listeners. And I recommend doing that. Just go to youtube.com slash trainer road. And we're usually live at Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific. So we'll answer the questions that you've submitted there. Drew says the ultimate Iceman MTB race question. We get more questions about this race, perhaps than any other race. I know the Iceman cometh challenge. Uh, it's, it's going to be a no for me, dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah nice. I like that. Yeah. One. That was good. Uh, American Idol reference. Uh, um, I, I, I looked at it and it's not as long as I thought it's like a relatively short race. You know, we're talking about, you know, it's like a two hour affair sort much. of thing, yeah. uh, you know, one and a half to two hours. So it's not crazy long. Oh, I thought it was really that long. part works no. for me. And if you're Jeff Kabush, then you ride it on drop bar bikes and you go even faster, I guess, but it's not overly technical. Just cold? Um, yeah, sometimes it hasn't been cold, but it's usually got some tricky weather. Right. And the cold's not hard. It's yeah. really close. It's in Traverse city, Michigan. So sometimes it gets really muddy and that's where the things come I from. Thought, okay. I'm confused. Cause I thought you guys should, when you, when you ask to do these events, put like the duration yeah, yeah, right. of like what the average time is. Cause yeah. I thought this was like a 10 hour race no. and cold and no, it's not. And, but the interesting thing is I think that this is the most well attended mountain bike race there is. So a lot of passing, a getting ton passed. of people do this race, um, but it's a really cool environment and everything else. It seems like a cool event. So, uh, so he says, uh, and no, I'm not asking if the trainer road crew will be coming to Traverse city to race it. Although that would be awesome. I've raced Iceman now 10 times. I typically finish around the top 10 of my age group and currently have an FTP of around 300 Watts tested outside. This puts me around four Watts per kilogram. Very nice. I've spent first half of the year training for XC marathon type events, finishing with a three day version of the Breck Epic starting this coming weekend, which is coming up. Uh, he says I would classify myself as a diesel. Once warmed up, I can lock in on a zone and just ride. Once Breck Epic is over, I'll be taking a week off to recover, then transitioning into the prep for Iceman. Every year I treat Iceman like a typical mountain bike race, like an XCO race. And for those that don't know, XCO, cross-country Olympic, that's usually shorter laps, punchy, hard efforts. Mm -hmm. It's not like a cross-country marathon <clears throat> race and certainly not like Iceman. He says, after spending so much time listening to the podcast, five stars, by the way, and revisiting my previous results. Thanks for the review, by the way. I'm wondering if my, if I'm approaching it wrong, uh, is treating the race as an XCO type event. Correct. With so much two track and gravel, is it really a road race on dirt? The answer Sounds is yes. Like it, yeah. Yes. It's a lot like a rolling road race. 
He says, coming that he says, come that first Saturday in November, I typically find myself ready for the race. Each of these last three years, I've noticed progressively better power outputs over the duration of the event. But the one consistent pattern is the inability to hold a group typically around the middle point of the race. Kind of like what we were talking about before when you come detached, right? When you've just done too much work too soon, possibly, or an efficiency thing. I'll find myself coming off a pole or a spot where the group might put in a harder effort than expected on a gradual climb. While it doesn't kill the entire race, losing that group can cost a minute or two by the end, and that is what separates a top 10 from a top 5. In the end, my question is this, for the specialty phase leading into November 2nd for this race, is it better to stay with a cross-country marathon plan due to the long race efforts at or near threshold, or would a different approach, such as the rolling road race plan, make more sense? I've come to the conclusion that the standard XCO just doesn't fit as this race is not your standard cross country event. Thanks in advance for your feedback. Keep up the great work. Uh, yes. Right. And yeah, that's check the box. This is a rolling road race. It just is. And you can tell, so if you're getting dropped from the top five, in a short, like punchier mm-hmm. climb, like that's what the rolling road race stuff is. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the interesting thing on the XCO side of things is with this event, you're going to have the punchy stuff, but then it's going to be a lot of steady state work yeah. where you're with the group. Yep. Yeah. And if you're not used to that, that sort of stuff, even though it isn't crazy high intensity, mm-hmm. that really starts to wear you down so that you can't take those punches. And that's what the rolling road race plan does is it mixes a bit more steady state in with those you know fluctuations that you'll, that you'll encounter. Yeah. I think muscle endurance is the big concern here. It's a mm-hmm. sounds like pretty uh, reason uh, non technical terrain. Yep, non technical is fair unless it's super muddy, of course. But yeah, so and the punches aren't so much punches as uh, rolling accelerations. Yep, so not quite the same thing. So uh, veering away from the XC plans and more towards a, a road race plan is absolutely what I'd recommend. Yep, yeah, I kind of want to do this race now. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun, right? Um, and the cool thing is uh, Michigan in October. They have cider mills all over the place and they have amazing, amazing cider and beer (laughs) and they have donuts and they have, Uh, and it's awesome. It's like a community thing. They're all over the place. So, um, I think that a lot of this depends. So it depends on two things, the terrain of the course, right. Mm -hmm. And then how you plan to race this course. Mm -hmm. And those two things we've talked about this before. Those are the two factors that always affect what sort of plan you pick. So you could be racing this and you could say, I know that I'm going to be at the front of this race and I plan to be an aggressor and I plan to really punch it over and over. Mm-hmm. In that case, a cross country plan may be a little yeah, better. be more suitable. Yeah. Yep. But if you're like, you know, I just need to hang in and I need to really make sure that I can stick with groups and, and on the flats, that sort of a thing, then you want to go towards something more steady state. Um, sometimes you'll have courses that just force you into something because it's really steep and it's, you know, just the nature of the course, you can't overcome it. And that's different. This Iceman race too, uh, I think there's at least one and maybe multiple dopers, like age group dopers who yes. get caught afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I it's know, happened like before. People are, is yeah. it big prize money? Just big prestige. I, just, I don't know. Who man. knows why they do it in It's a lot groups. of prestige, I guess. I mean, it's, it's like the most anyway. popular. Yeah, perceived. Yeah. Well, we care. Hum, humans will do anything <laughs> to, to get anything. <laughs> oh, five seconds. It doesn't yeah. need to be, yeah. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. So let's go into the live questions that people have submitted uh, to YouTube. Somebody already mentioning the fact that they, they said in here, hearing about the speed wobbles, I've been battling them as of late. Please don't battle speed wobbles. Yeah, don't battle them. Also, if if any of the stuff isn't making sense that we said and you still have speed wobbles, you can get your frame checked. If you have a carbon frame, you can get it x-rayed and mm-hmm. they will check to see. You might have a void in there that you don't even know. You know, you, you might have that? a crack. Um, man, I can't tell. <laughs> I'm going to give you a weird Cal plug. Free. Go to Cat3Memes Instagram because he recently did it. And I can't remember where he sent it to, but he crashed hard and he sent his frame off for, to somebody. Um, I believe Cat3Memes. Perhaps it was Feed Zone News, one of the two, or Feed Zone Memes. 
check them out. Good entertainment too. Uh, but yeah, that's something that you absolutely would want to check out. If you have any sort of movement like that, that's, that's pretty scary stuff. So, uh, somebody mentions, uh, Matt says, I've been using your triathlon plans for a year now with great success and qualified for worlds in nice. Nice job, Matt. Nice. Way to go. Says, uh, you talk a lot about the theory behind the bike, but you, could you comment on the running and swimming? So, and I guess that would be a big topic for us to unwrap, to just cover running and swimming on the triathlon side. We covered swimming a decent amount today. Uh, we're going to cover as we the get into Kona. Are all overlapping though, just for what it's worth. Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 Um, as we get into Kona, we'll talk more about it, but mm -hmm. well, I guess, what do you mean by the principles overlapping being the same? Um, the, there's still an emphasis on speed. There's an emphasis on muscle endurance. There's an emphasis on work done at high percentages of VO2 max. Cause it's still, each one of these sports are still endurance sports and we're conditioning the body, not, not necessarily. Um, don't get so hung up in, in what the discipline is. Mm -hmm. Just recognize that as long as we train certain aspects of each discipline so that your body knows how to move and most effectively use energy, we're the energy system still function the same way. Yep. And then he follows up and he says, what's the basis of the different workouts, how they're scheduled in relation to each other, frequency, mileage intervals, That's all that stuff. Topic. That's a lot bigger topic. Yeah. Um, you've been using the plans, Matt, so you see that they are organized and there are principles governing those sort of things. Um, we'll get into that as we, as we go further in. Uh, Nate, did you find something entertaining? It's just entertaining. Uh, Tor says, does Jonathan sing? He has a bit of a boy bandish look. <laughs> oh, that's you got a little curl coming down right do now. Do I link to the yeah. little pink? Uh, oh, man. The oh, yeah. album cover. Yeah, we, oh, made, yeah. we made an album Jay cover. No, Jay Silk. Jay Silk. <laughs> Tucker, can you take out of our Slack the Jay Silk? <laughs> I picture. think it'll be a really small one. You might want to hit up our creative director, Josh. I think he made the J silk one. Mm. He may have the original file. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. I do form. have my own album cover. I don't sing <laughs> for yeah, what we, it's worth. We thought the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't sing for if what it's worth. Decides on a career change. Yeah. There we go. Um, okay. Uh, getting into one here. Somebody says, is there a blog post with gear setup that you gear slash setup that you guys currently use? I vaguely remember you guys mentioning it on an older podcast. I wasn't sure. Let's rip through them really quick. <clears throat> All three of us ride an S-Works Venge. Uh, 54 for me, 56 for Chad, and 61 for Nate. Mm -hmm. uh, I, we have ETAP, not the new ETAP, but the previous Gen 1. I run 52.36 with a 11.30 in the back. I think we all do. No. And Chad has the same gearing. Nate, on the other hand, is running Dura-ASDI2. Oh, yep. that's right. 53.39. Oh, look at you. Standard. <laughs> wow. Old school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what, uh, gearing in the back? Uh, 11.30. All of us are on NV 5.6s. And I have 7.8s too. Nate has 7.8s too. The, the reason too I have that gearing is for crits. Sprinting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have... I'm going to pay for it at Kona. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> I have S-Works turbos, uh, the 28s, I believe, or 20, 26. I can't remember what size. Sorry. Um, I believe the 28s, uh, S-Works turbos. No, I think it's 26 or 25. Yeah, yeah, they something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. I think so. I think they're the 26s. I have those on those wheels. That's mm -hmm. my road bike. Uh, you run which tires, Nate? Uh, a mix between the Corsa Speed 2. I just started using those again. Yep. And then the uh, GP5000 TLs. Yep. That's what I so, use. That's what you put on the wheels that Yeah, I think that's what Chad right? has. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the so GP5000s. Um, and then on the mountain bike side, SB100. And we can go. you can check out my Instagram, at Lee Jonathan, for more details on that thing. We won't go into that. You, and you have an SB 55 SB 150. 150, sorry. Is, yeah. It's basically just my North Star bike. It's my, mm -hmm. my tread sled, so to speak. Um, and then, Nate, you have... An SB 150. Uh-huh. A Yeti SB 150. And then also, I'm getting a Pivot Mach SL4. Yeah, Mach 4 SL. Mach yeah. 4 SL. Okay. Yeah. It's still harder with all the It's going to be a sweet bike. Yeah, yep. Mm -hmm. Just waiting for that. And, Chad, you have from Mountain Bikes? SB 100. Yeti. Yep. Uh, Yeti SB 4.5. Yep. And uh, my 
Canyon Exceed. CLX. Exceed CLX. I, so. I can't remember all the yeah the hard tell. alphabet soup. You've got the most mountain bikes of all of us. Yeah, that's, that's right. true. <laughs> yeah, my shit looks real good. And Trek Speed Concept for TT, and oh, I have so uh, <laughs> I know NV7 up front, and then I have a disc, the NV disc in the rear. And Nate, you ride <laughs> your Venge. Your Venge is your I, know, I don't know now. what I'm doing now, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Chad, Giant Trinity, Advanced. Yep. Mm-hmm. Those are our bikes. Yep. We have oh, cross I, bikes too, but let's not. <laughs> I am. I'm excited about that. I'm getting, I, I ordered an open wide. So I'm oh, excited yeah. for that. So yeah, that's gonna <laughs> I need to build a Franken bike out of it. So it's going to have like the axis shifters in the front and then Eagle in the back. For those who don't know, uh, <laughs> the open bike is, uh, it's where like uh, class meets performance, <laughs> and like yeah, it's the Rafa of bikes. And when you think of <laughs> right, when I think of Jonathan, yeah, I think well put together, yeah, thank uh, you. But still cares about performance a little bit, and so this is why the open bike. It is the most open bike in the world, the and you're getting bike. a special version of it. Yes, it is a Yeti turquoise open bike. I don't know if it's going to be available to the public. Yeah, so it's like a limited edition run. So, so that fancy. just makes it even more. Um, pretentious in the most best way, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like the Yeti one of it. Oh, it's the, yeah. If I could pick, me too. I team. couldn't pick another bike better for Jonathan. Uh, yeah, which, uh, very. Yeah, it, are you going to do gravel and cross on it, or just gravel? Uh, yeah, gravel and cross. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm really do it, getting it because I, I want to get away from road as much as other than road racing. I just, you know, uh, we lost a really good friend this year, uh, local and and actually a previous producer of the podcast, Ian Mankies, uh, his brother Tate, uh, pro road racer mm-hmm. and pro mountain biker prior to that, was, was, his life was taken by a driver. And I just, <clears throat> every moment I've spent on the road since then, except for in a, in a race, I, I, I can't uh, be comfortable with that anymore. Um, we've had so many people pass away that we've all known, I'm sure. And, and it's just, uh, it's a scary thing for me. Yeah. More time on the trainer, more time and, uh, away from cars, you know, yeah, and quick, uh, speedy recovery to Willie Myers. Cause he crashed. This is yes. a race wasn't yes. on, on the open road, but he did break some vertebrae, which is yes. an innocuous way of Serious. saying he broke his back. Serious. Damage. So Brian Larson too. He crashed well. in, uh, yep. At San Rafael. San Rafael. Yeah. And he can't lift his left arm. Yeah. Uh, really? So, yeah. so yeah, I just, uh, that's the main reason behind it's getting it there is I'm looking to get away from that sort of stuff more and more. So. Yeah, but you had a bike you could use. <laughs> yes, I did. This is you true. didn't need to get the Yeti. It's <laughs> my <open>. justification. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Herb says during the tour, Lance was pushing Amp Human on his podcast, a lotion that was supposed to be a lactate buffer. Uh, we've got the reason I'm mentioning this one. Uh, we usually don't talk a whole lot about like you know specific products that sort of stuff, but we've gotten so many questions on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I counted this week alone. I think that we got 32 questions about this specific thing. What it used to be called? Over the last two weeks. Uh, oh, geez. It's been called a number of different things. PR uh, lotion. It was called uh, uh, that. Topical Edge. Topical Edge. And then, yeah, it's gone through a diff- bunch of different names. Um, I don't know if it's any good. It says, you guys try this stuff. Is it any good? I use it. I put it on my legs too, but I don't know if it does anything. The, and I know that like they were struggling to get some research that showed that it improved performance. You know, uh, I know the folks behind the company and they're really good, well-intentioned, like honest, good people. It's not like there's any, I don't sense a single ounce of snake oil. We behind could them, discuss you know? the science on it later. I mean, yeah. w- regardless of whether or not it works, at least what the theory behind it is. Yeah. 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 So we'll cover we that. Now. take a bias side or approach. We can just say 
Yep. Do, do the sodium bicarbonate buffer system. Yeah. So we'll get into that and maybe like next episode we can, we can tack that onto sure. the list. Um, but yeah, we use it and, and I don't know if it works cause so many variables change in our lives, right? It's, it's really hard. Tan, though. <laughs> That's for dang sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to change just yeah. one thing. So yeah. I, I might give it a crack cause I still have several packs of it and I'm going to yeah. start doing steady state work. Put so. on one leg. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. You could do it too. Yeah. (laughs) Why would I do that? (laughs) You're the the, science guy. The the interesting thing about it to me is, I mean, I've, I've had like, I've had really good days with it. Uh, and I've had really bad days with it. I've also had had bad days, (laughs) you know? So, but I don't know. Um, in theory, it makes my legs look tan and shiny. So that might make me feel (laughs) like I'm faster. So there's a win. (laughs) The boy band guy I am, I guess. So, uh, okay. (laughs) Let's go with the next one. Nate, do you have any pulled up here? No, not at the moment. Okay. Uh, here's one. How do you find what type of cyclist you naturally lean toward? Sprinter, puncher, TT, climber. I feel like I'm more of a puncher as I can't sprint, but maybe my sprint technique just sucks. <laughs> that's a very honest assessment, Gavin. That's, I'll, that's pretty good. I'll say my opinion. You say your opinion, mm-hmm. Chad, the, um, but I'm going to go first. I feel like until you get to your close to your genetic limit, it's really hard to tell what kind of cyclist you're naturally inclined for. Mm-hmm. And all these things mm-hmm. that look at your power curve when you're, I don't know, five to 10 hours per week. It's just, it's just showing you what you've been training. Yes. Um, for this person, if I bet you, if you trained your sprint like like every day for a month, I bet your sprint power would go way up. Or not mm-hmm. every day, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You'd concentrate on a lot of people don't <clears throat> ever train their sprint, um, and then they go into race and they can't sprint. Like I'm not a sprinter. Uh, it just it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, once you get to the very high limit, the very high end of it, uh, then you can start to see. Mm-hmm. where it is. But even that, you can change it. You see, you see oh, pros yeah. like, go, totally. Don't pigeonhole yourself. Yeah, Pretty from the track yeah. to Grand Tour Rider. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, what, uh, Grant Thomas is what, a 5K guy or a pursuit Look specialist. It. And now oh, he's a Grand wait. Tour winner. <laughs> it's amazing. Right? Yeah. And right. So even at the highest of levels, if he had pigeonholed yep. himself and said, I'm just an Olympic track sprinter, that's all I'm ever pursued or that's all I'm ever going to do. For us average Joes, my perspective is we're best at what we train. Yeah, that's what, and that's the sort of athlete that you that you can become. And the cool absolutely. part is, next year you want to change it up, change it up. But and if you're ever going to reach a point of really specific specialization, it'll reveal itself. You mm-hmm. won't really have to guess. You'll you'll have seen so many things that say, mm, I've got a pretty good sprint, and and I'm short and stocky and uh, big muscles, and I pack on muscle quickly. Certain things will will steer you. Yeah. Um, uh, even with that, so Chris McCormick, going back to him, he is. Um, uh, he, he's always talked about he just puts on muscle so easily and he's stocky and he's got a lot of power mm. and he would just have to fight that and he won Ironman I think twice yep um, twice. Be, yeah I think twice but, uh, because he, he he wanted to do it yep you know what I mean totally uh, even though his body probably wasn't he was a big to a big Ironman athlete like mm-hmm. he, next mm-hmm. to him he's a big guy um, pretty crazy which you can oh yeah which you can do uh, just a couple more questions. Uh, Driven asks Wahoo. I assume you're talking about the outside workouts feature. We're working on it. We have engineers working on it. Wahoo's working on it. It's in progress. Um, we don't have an ETA, um, but it certainly is a, f- a focus of part of our team here at Train Road. So we're working on it. The outside workouts are awesome, by the way. Uh, if you haven't tried that, 
it really just makes it so that you can, you can train all year. You don't have just, you know, you're not bound to one thing. If you, there's so many people that were like, man, I'd love to use this, but I don't like training inside. Well, now you can train wherever and, and, and always have a workout to do. It just transfers automatically to your heading. It's awesome. So give it a shot. Check it out. Trainerroad.com. A question specifically for Chad, any advice for whether or not to keep the front hydration on the Trinity on the giant Trinity advanced pro for a 40 K bike leg of a duathlon. So I think he's talking about like, you know, how they have like a nose cone mm-hmm. that's like hydration. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't have any experience with that. And I don't know what sort of aero penalty you pay. Yeah. I, I don't think it's much of an, in Probably fact, it might not. be, it serve as a fairing yeah. and it might yeah, I think it's going to be illegal in a 40, like in a. In a you, U, like UCI, a, yeah. USAC. In this case, race. since it's a duathlon, kind of free and open. You do whatever you want. Yeah. You could do it. I would keep it on. Put it on there so you could drink. Simply for hydration. I, yeah. And if there's not an arrow, a substantial arrow penalty, and in this case, there might be a benefit, I, yeah. don't, I don't see why not. As long as you don't have a straw sticking straight up, because that mm-hmm. little cylinder of a straw can be, mm. I want to say, five watts of the cylinders are horrible, horrible shape cables. Yes. Just break cables and yeah. shifter cables took a pretty hefty penalty. Some people mm-hmm. put like a little fairing over their straw. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> I've seen like a little airfoil. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, well, I think the best one is the ones that kind of fold down. So they're out of the wind and then oh, you can yeah, nice. raise them up to do it and put them back down. Quick one, Chad. This is kind of, <laughs> we'll see how we handle this one. Any suggestions about indoor rowing to improve your cycling endurance? Mm. Is there a crossover? Uh, th- there'd be general crossover in terms of your aerobic engine, but, yeah. uh, if we just tie it to specificity, I mean, I could see doing it during earlier phases of training, just as a way to break up training, certainly as cross training. Yep. Um, but as you get more specific, I mean, even once you move into build, maybe even toward the latter end of base, I don't know that it, I would dedicate time that could be spent on the bike to yeah. rowing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. So, uh, one other, one last question. Uh, somebody says in my training, I've correlated training with sleep disruption. Is this a thing? What can be done to deal with said disruption? Thanks. Just raced a <coughs> crit two nights ago. Totally feel you on this. Yeah. Time uh, of day is a big deal. So if you wind yourself up in, in a number of ways, but specifically cortisol, um, that, mm-hmm. that could absolutely affect your sleep. If you're doing too much training and cortisol staying continuously elevated, mm-hmm. that's going to have an impact on your sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just, like I've talked about before, we just stay in an elevated sympathetic state where we're more leaning towards fight or flight than, than rest digest. And that absolutely impacts your sleep quality. Yeah. I just, I just count on it. Right. If I like train later in the day, I'm not going to have as good a sleep. You yeah. Know? And that's a sad yeah. truth. I don't know really, really how you avoid it except for doing low intensity later in the day and saving your hard stuff for earlier in the day. But right. Yeah, but too, we talked about, I think last week or two weeks ago, if you do a large blocks, you start to get run down. Mm-hmm. Even if it's in the morning training, your mm-hmm. sleep will be impacted. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's oh, a good yeah. sign to be able to start taking a rest day. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, cool. All right. With that, thanks everybody for joining us. Thanks everybody for joining on YouTube in particular. That's awesome. We encourage you guys to do it. You can watch these podcasts as well on there. Just go on after the fact and check it out. We have a ton of new race analysis videos that are coming out. We're working hard on a sprint video right now. Uh, I think that we're going to get into final cuts here within the, the next week. So that might be up here within a couple weeks, uh, maybe even sooner. So stay tuned for that. Pete and I feel like we've gotten a ton of Easter eggs with this slow motion footage that really are going to help, or I shouldn't say Easter eggs, just like really good points that will help people become better sprinters. So, uh, really good stuff. Thanks for almost sacrificing your life on that one, Nate. You're welcome. <laughs> Stan, if you want to see what that's about, yeah. you can see the video, uh, and you can check out everything that we do over at trainerroad.com. Please do that. Share this podcast with your friends in trainer road. That really helps us grow here at trainer road, answer more of your questions, make more of you faster. We'll talk to you all next week. See ya. Bye everybody. Bye-bye.